Battleline Podcast, Chris Peranto is back with me. So if you if you're one of these people who tuned out because you're like, where the hell is Chris? <laughs> you can listen. <laughs> so uh Fort Scott Munitions, before we get into everything, is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammo design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger, Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through FortScottMunitions.com, F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S.com. Make sure you use our exclusive promo code BATTLELINE, and you're going to get 15% off your order. Only available to our listeners. Once again, that's BATTLELINE for 15% off at FortScottMunitions.com. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of this podcast. Chris Peranto, myself, Battleline Tactical, and everyone who's been ordering with them is loving it. Nice and quick, we're going to get right into everything. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on, Battle Line Podcast, and uh, yeah, I haven't spoke to you in a while it's been three weeks since you've done the podcast i i do want to hear what you're up to but you know what the first thing i want to say because i just feel like it's so important to talk about because it's being buried and uh i don't want to say the media is not covering it because they are it's up on new york times it's up on fox news but i'm sure i don't really watch much news tv but i'm sure you're not hearing much of it and it you know it's because people want to hear about a lot of other things going on even though this should be covered. So there was a SEAL Team 6, uh, former SEAL Team 6, now CIA officer, just recently killed in Somalia, day before Thanksgiving. We don't know the name of this uh, former SEAL CIA uh, officer, but anybody who knows this guy, it's very possible someone listening is familiar with him. Uh, rest in peace. And I mean, it's just a reminder that we still got guys out there with the CIA, with special operations, protecting us and you know, doing their thing. 
Yeah, we always will. No matter what happens here over in the States, there's always stuff going on overseas. So there's bad people, bad things going on. Somalia, uh, that place I, I will always be Somalia. I, I say good or bad. It's just, you know, you get in the world and, and, and places just function how they function and, and you can't change the way they function. It, even though as much as you try and you've seen how we try to go in our country, it doesn't matter which president, it's not a side, both, both sides are, are responsible for this, but you go into a country and you think you can change it with democracy and, and, you, and you can't, it, it doesn't work that way. And we found that out over the years, starting with Somalia back in 93. And even before that, um, Vietnam, you know, there's another one. So, uh, but that doesn't mean there still doesn't need to be people out there in these in these areas trying to catch terrorists, trying to kill terrorists. That uh, so we don't have another nine eleven. And if people think, oh, you're you're way overdoing it, I don't know. That's 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 why we got in the original nine eleven. We had a chance to catch Osama bin Laden, or actually even kill Osama bin Laden, and under and, and um, I believe that was under Clinton. Actually. Under Clinton, yeah, yeah, and we and we didn't, and you see what happens. So. Um, yeah, and, but the other guys know, and they know, and I don't know if he was a ground branch guy or a GRS guy. I'm assuming probably a ground branch guy. If it was a K, if it was an officer that said officer in the, I didn't, I didn't even know. I, I be honest with you, I didn't hear about it. Um, but if it said officer, ground branch guy, but he's he's in there running, running assets, trying to find bad guys, doing the doing this hard work that needs to be done. And I, I'm sure, um, I'm sure he was never worried that he was going to die, which none none of them are. None of us are. I wasn't either. You just do your job. And that's part of the job. You accept that. You accept that as a possibility. So God bless him. God bless his family. God bless his team that's out there because I know they take it hard. Um, when you hear that, even the guys that weren't there on the ground with him, when they hear it back in the rear, you actually even feel even more guilty because you weren't there. So, um, yeah. Yeah. God bless him. And, and uh, yeah, that's stuff that should be reported. This crap here in the States, man, we. <laughs> and, and it we is, it. you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I, Jack Murphy, we had on last episode, talks about it a lot. But people say the media is not reporting on stuff like this, but they are, honestly. I mean, it's like I said, it's up on Fox News. It's up on The New York Times. I think when people have a problem with the media, it's more so the television media. And the truth is, though, a lot of that has to do with us. The problem is us, because if this is what people wanted to hear and it should be what people want to hear, it's what they would report on more because yeah. Yeah, the right. media yeah. purely exists to sell people to advertisers. I know people don't want to hear that. They think it's to inform us and no, it's not. It's, it's all not there all. so they could sell more products. That's what, that's yeah. what it's for. So yeah. if they're talking nonstop about election fraud and all this stuff, that means that's what you want to hear because they wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't what you wanted to hear. So I, yeah. I think there's just got to be more people demanding these type of stories that we do want to know what's going on with contractors and military members overseas. I, but, you know, is it, is it the realism of it? Yeah, that it's ever going to happen? No, it, it won't, because this is what we feed on now. We, we, love, we love drama, not, not talking about people and, and U.S. citizens and veterans and military personnel and so forth that are out there protecting our rights, protecting our ability to be free and <laughs> and have media corporations make, you know, make up drama. Not, I should say make up drama, expound on the drama to sell. Yeah. Like you said, media. And that's, brother, you hit that right on the head. That's, and we've been saying that, I don't know, since day one, since we started doing the podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, 
it's a fact. It is what it is. They yeah. want to keep you tuned in. Yeah. They could sell more products to you. That's just the way that it works. So luckily, I think there's more and more people tuning into not just what we do, but stuff like the team house with Jack Murphy and Dave yeah. Park and hearing these types of stories. Um, and yeah, that's really it. Rest in peace. I would say the name, but we don't know. We don't have the name released right now. So just that uh, brave SEAL Team 6 member and, and CIA officer. Uh, but with that, it's been three weeks since people have heard from you. They've probably heard enough of me. Uh, anything you want to talk about? <laughs> no, we, you know, like being being away and doing a lot of stuff with Battleline Tactical, which the the, the company works Battleline Podcast. I would say spurned on, spurned off of, but I, you know, that's where it was Battleline Tactical first. But doing a lot of the photo shoots was out with uh, the Maxim Defense Gun Monkey. That was the guy Paul Braun out of his farm doing a photo shoot, which actually turned out. I thought it was, bro, it was brutal cold. It was so freaking, I mean, you're in St. Cloud, Minnesota in November, but it was beautiful, man. So getting out there and you're out in his farm and you, some people have seen some of the pictures that we posted with yep, the Gladiator yep. Solutions, which is a great, now Battleline Tactical is a brand ambassador for I am, uh, which does ceramic uh, body armor and and uh, uh, plate carriers, but then also the Maxim Defense guns, the Tonal Toolbox, what the second generation that's out now. But anyway, so cool. th- yeah, it is, it is. It's awesome. But just being out there and doing that pictures, I kind of felt like, you know, be honest, I felt like uh, Red Dawn, man, Wolverines <laughs> out there with all the all the snow on the farm and then also doing the, doing the Thaddeus stuff with the, which Thaddeus has been a sponsor of the Battleline podcast for and rent with their gear. And, uh, but it, it did it being out in the cold. It was just felt good out in the cornfields. That's, that's Americana. And, you know, it's, it's the farther you get away from big cities, the, the more Americana it feels and it's still Americana in the Midwest. So getting to do that. And then also doing the uh, Battleline tactical course at defender outdoors, which we do every year up for Thanksgiving. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing because a huge turnout again. Um, I saw. It. Yeah, it was, and we do a great job. I, 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 we do as as a team. Benny Glossop is there. Ben Morgan's there teaching. Then we get Jeremy Mitchell who helps run the Op Four, which we have an Op Four element that we use in some of our courses. An opposing force, which to and me, I, and I feel like every time you're in Texas, Gary Brugman makes. Yeah, Gary, sure. yeah, Gary's, Gary, Gary is one of our Op Four. He's one of our role players, and we do Op Four, and he's tremendous because. Being a former border patrol agent, he knows the law. So when you do the op four, you you can't just it's not just paintball. You can't just do paintball. Just, there has to be a reason that you're doing it, and you have to be learning from it. But not just learning how to address a threat or not address a threat. Sometimes the best thing to do is run away when you're facing a situation. It is, guys. Um, but also having that law enforcement guy in there that's saying, okay as a civilian, you can't do this in this situation because even if you're not the bad guy and you're going after the bad guy, if you show your gun or you brandish your gun or you put your hand on your hip and you're walking into a situation already with your hand on the gun before anything happens, just because you're nervous, guess who's at fault now? It's not the bad guy anymore. Bad guy actually now can say, hey, I felt threatened because I saw his gun and shot the good, shot the good guy. It's, it's stuff that you learn at the battle line tackle courses, which isn't just standing on the line to shoot. Because that's when you have the problems that we have and have where a person may be acting what they think is in their best in the best God fearing faith, but doing it in the wrong way where now they become more of a liability. And then they also, you know, now they're they're going to jail, even though they thought, well, man, I was addressing a threat. So threat that that was needed to be addressed. But getting, you know, going down the rabbit hole, come to a battle line course. Uh, yeah, especially the one in Texas, the one at Defender Outdoors, which we'll have again at the same time next year. And and you can go through all that, man. It's fun. And we had a blast. It's always so much fun. And I brought my family. 
to that one. So that was a blast too, getting to spend time with the family in Fort Worth. If you've ever been to Fort Worth, it's a diamond in a rough, guys. Go down there, a lot of history. Even if you want to see the grassy knoll, it's still a lot of history down there, but it's a running Mecca, man. There's so many places to run down there. And then just going out right outside in Fort Worth is relatively safe. It is. It's in it's still, it's still, but the restaurants are open and, and they do a great job. I, I don't mind the personal space stuff. The social distancing, people call it to me. That's just personal space is what we always should have had. Um, it's kind of nice going out, I have to say, because nobody wants to go out. So you're the only one, really, you're, you're in restaurants where I think that's how it should always be, you know, <laughs> where, where you're not packed in like sardines. Uh, but it's, it's just the whole idea of that's how they make money, you know. I feel I, 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 you know, and it's, it's a, and we we just can't now, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a whole thing to navigate because I can tell you right now we're uh, New York as much as it's like, I don't want to put this energy out there, (laughs) but we're going to lockdown number two. I don't want to say it lockdown two electric blue. I am going to, um, I'm just going to, you know, do what I can to, um, to basically navigate my way through this the same way we always talk about. I mean, I'd rather not that we get in that position, but if we are, I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to do what we have to do and find my way to make the best of it. Getting, I actually went for a run the first time in a long time today. And it was funny you mentioned Thaddeus because I was wearing my Thaddeus sweatpants. Not for that, but I went to, and I love their stuff. Dude, they're um, awesome. Those sweatpants. Yeah, I went Man, hiking me. Bear Mountain again with my dad, who actually went all the way to the top this time uh, because I said to him, I was like, it's getting cold. This is really your last chance that we're going to be able to do this. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going to hike Bear Mountain in the freezing cold, but yes. it's, Bear Mountain is awesome if you ever get a chance to go out there. Totally different part of the country, but it's it's great. But being outside, being outside, I I'll post some more pictures I of places I took pictures of when I'm running and and just showing things for people that aren't going out. But yeah, with with people, and if there's a so there's a lockdown, big deal. Lock yourself down or get out and enjoy what you can. And to me, again, I I don't have an issue with it because when we go out. Or we stay at a hotels, or and and I I do think most businesses do a great job. They're the business. Yeah, I've been I had in. to stay, exactly. as you know, when I went to Arizona, I had yeah. to stay at a hotel, so I experienced the exact same thing. They do a good job. They're, they're doing what they can. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think people in general are doing generally doing the best they can with the, all that's going on. Um, oh, you know what I was going to tell you before we get to our guests? I thought this was kind of, uh, I you know, kind of sucks for him, but it was interesting was I never told you this, but when I quit, you know, my last job with soft rep and all that, and before we started this, I was applying for some things at Sirius XM. And I just saw, and I know you're familiar with them, Jason Ellis just got yeah. fired from Sirius XM uh, after I think like 15 years. Yeah, what the hell? And it just, uh, I applied for that job and I was like, thank God I didn't move to LA, you know, because that's where I would have had to have moved. Oh, yeah. And then they'd be like, you're done. And I don't think they would have found anything. But the reason I bring it up is, I just think podcasts are the future. I really do. I always say it. I think if Jason, and I'm not even, you know, I don't listen to him regularly, but I think if he were to start a podcast, he will be perfectly fine. And I think more and more people are seeing that. And it's just the, you know, because I've talked to Mike Bins about it with Will Cow. Like, I think Will Cow would do amazing if he started a podcast, but it's that whole gamble people have of in their head of taking that leap of faith. Because if you work for a major corporation, it's like you get health care. You get all these benefits. And if you start a podcast, it's kind of on you to get sponsors, to to make it work. Um, But there's a lot of podcasts out there just doing really well throughout all this. And I think some of those bigger companies that have a way higher overhead to take care of are those are the ones that are suffering. 
And I wasn't really surprised that they're having to lay off some people. Is that because of money or because of political correctness? Because you see a no, lot I of would, these. I would think it's money. Was, was it really money would. or anything? It could, yeah. Because I, I, I just, you don't know anymore. Even you see even comedians, even I, I, and I saw this when Bill Burr was on Saturday Night Live being Bill Burr. He was roasted for being too politically incorrect. He was too homo. Was it homophobe or something? He said, it's like, Jesus, it's Bill Burr. What yeah. do you think you're going to get when you, <laughs> you know, comedians can't even be comedians anymore? So I think, well, Jason Ellis can't be because I, I used to listen to Jason Ellis. Uh, was he on fact? Was it faction? Yeah, he's on faction. Faction, talk. and yeah. he was awesome. But again, d- he is completely politically incorrect, which is great. That's why you listen to Jason Ellis. But you see, even these companies, or like Joe Rogan's another one with with Spotify. You got yeah. you got to say I can't you can't have this guest bullshit I'm do what I want and as a comedian or a or a ta- or you know you're on the radio or serious even like Wilkow for your opinions you can't you can't you, you can't censor those opinions that's why you have those people on but again you if yeah. it's money oh it's money I, I get that I think it would be I, I have to say because. You know, I don't know. I, the the shows that are bringing in money, they've never, you know, they've never told. I, I worked for Andrew for, for like, yeah. you know, with Andrew, I'd say for, I don't know, six years or something. Paid, they've I'm, never told them you can or can't say this. The only time it's, it's ever happened, uh, and this was before I was even there, if, if he kind of went after someone on the platform, they were like, just don't do that. But that was about it. But it is, uh, it, granted, they are serious, but it also is, that's under Patriot. And if we found out with uh, with Parler and everything else, it is a conservative, and I don't know how it works. You know better than I do, but it is a conservative station within Sirius, and we do find that conservatives, just with even the advantage of Parler being a free speech social media, conservatives are more inclined for free speech. It's funny because it's ironic because the left is the one that preaches that, but to me, in my opinion, it's the right that actually does allow free speech more than the left. And I think maybe that's why Andrew is fine on serious because Andrew really can't say what he wants, but he also keeps it very clean. You know, even when I said shit, Oh yeah. Oh, like, no. hey, we can't say that. <laughs> and I love doing it. Just that makes, it does make sense though, because there's certain channels there. There's like the XL channels there where they use explicit language. But uh, I think it's the idea that on Patriot, there are times it slips out, but I think it's that you could have your kids in the car and you could listen to and, this. And, um, and, even with what we do, I mean, I'll I'll be honest, there's times where I'm like, let's tone it down a little well, you, bit you've done it. because you've I want more. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's good that we're uncensored and I certainly curse every now and again and so do you. But I think it for me, right, as like a radio guy, it kind of takes the seriousness out of the discussion we're having when it's like every two seconds no you're right right. you you can't you can't do that no we we, but i don't like to send i really don't like to censor people or censor their uh, their opinions or any of that um you know and and will cow and all those shows really they always have found a way to navigate that and still have a great show i mean i don't think anybody ever listens like for example to rush limbaugh and feels like oh this guy's being censored you know he can't he can't curse he's on am radio but I, i think you could find your way around that pretty easily. I, I, I just, from from watching and, and listening to to different, and I do, I listen to different stuff, especially when I'm driving. I Music actually puts me to sleep. I have to listen to talk radio or or comedy, you know, whether it be Kevin Hart's channel or Netflix is a joke or, or Larry the Cable Guy's channel. Um, yeah. But I do, and it's, it's, it is, it's ironic to me that, because when I listen to it and I and tr- I pay attention to this stuff, guys, so I'm not just a knuckle dragon ranger all the time. I try to <laughs> try to try to, to use my two cents and common sense every once in a while. 
the left channels, the ones that are the left channels, aside from the comedy channels, which you can say that Netflix is a joke. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to get in. I don't know about comedy. I think comedy is just comedy. It should be just comedy. It shouldn't be yeah. partisan at all. Um, but I do find that the left talk radio or left channels are more censored or they censor themselves more than the right channel. So that's why I say Rush Limbaugh. No, he's not censored. But he also, when he is on AM radio, and I do listen to AM radio, he's on a right wing AM station. It's what yeah. that's sponsored by Fox. And it's funny because to me, the right. It, well, is it? Uh, I don't I don't know if he. Oh, you're saying Fox is a sponsor. It's like is a sponsor. Yeah. yeah. Got so, you. So okay, like you'll, yeah. you'll hear during between his shows, you'll hear a Fox ad come on. No, I got or, you. I, yeah. And, and um, what I say is, is that it's so ironic to me that the left expand. Uh, there's so, uh, free speech, free this free. But it's the right that actually shows and actually accepts the free speech and the left is the one that censors it. And I, I just see the irony in this and, the, or being, or the, the hypocriticalness of, of politics again, that we always talk about that. It's just, yeah. it's ridiculous, man. But getting back to the free speech stuff. Yeah. I, I, with Jason Ellis, I, it, if he started something, I think, I think he'd be monstrous. Sure. Yeah. He already has a monstrous following and that's his, yeah. that's his realm, man. And we, Hey Jason, get on the show. We need to have you on the show. Cause I, I used <laughs> yeah, to listen we to him overseas when we had wire internet service, I turn on faction when I could download the serious app and I listen to, to faction. And that was when faction and octane, man, that was when they, they were the two main hard rock channels. So yeah. To- yeah. Yeah. It was pre faction talk. I, yeah. I remember yeah. it, but um, yeah, I think it's just when, when serious came out and this is just me as a guy who formerly worked, well, you, knew, there, you, you know, know. Was, yeah, yeah, it was an innovative thing to have satellite radio, and it's not so innovative. Anymore. Yeah. Now everybody could do their own thing. They don't really need all these people overseeing. They don't need like these. Honestly, from my experience, it's always these people. We were on the 36th floor and the 37th floor was all these like executives. And they were like people who tried to stop creative people from being creative. A lot of them were like failed radio hosts, so then they could like police radio hosts. <laughs> is it that that bro? That is in every genre. The ones that are always controlling everything are the ones that couldn't actually do it, but for somehow they got into positions where they had control, and then it was it turned into a bully, almost like a bully network. And, and it's funny that you say it was serious because I, I think that's everywhere in corporations for the most and. It, yeah, it is in corporations for the most part. It's like, man, we have the saying uh, in the military and even in the contracting world, fuck up, move up. That's that's that is actually in the military and in the military world and the contracting world. If you screw up for some reason, whenever somebody screwed up downrange on the job, you find them at a higher position than you are. Like, how the hell did he end up being program manager of this program when he couldn't even be the damn trunk monkey in the damn <laughs> rear security vehicle? And it's a saying, fuck up, move up. And that is. That is sounds like it's 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 in it's in everywhere and even it's yeah. serious. So, but you, you, like we do, we sh- we we laugh it off and we shake our heads and we just keep grinding on and doing our thing, man. And and that's the beauty about podcast now is because now if we fuck up, it's we don't move up anywhere because there's no places to move up. We're just kind of yeah. Stuck. No, I I love having the freedom to do what yeah. we want to do. I, I I really do. But uh, yeah. So with that, we have Jeffrey Wilson and Brian Andrews coming on. So before we get to them, uh, as always, Fort Scott Munitions. Check them out if you're a shooter. They are a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. 
that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring you're going to receive the same results every time you pull that trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in every state, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE. You'll see it in the description here for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the Battleline podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline podcast. If you don't see exactly what you're looking for today, you've seen it, man. The site is changing like every day. They're restocking as quickly as they can. Uh, so with that, yeah. we're pretty much right on time. What were you saying? No, they, they're guys. They're, they're catching up on the on the the most used ammunition, which is generally five five six or two two three or nine mil. So get there. Their wait time isn't long on those. But 300 blackout, uh, we're still backed up. So if you got 300 blackout, you're still going to be waiting a little bit. There we go. What's <laughs> hey, going <man>. on, dude? <laughs> Just drunk on turkey uh, juice, whatever that chemical is, you know, that you eat. You get all that chemical, makes you groggy. Yeah, makes you tired. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the tryptophan, right? Tryptophan. Tryptophan. You know <laughs> well, with that, then we'll get into uh, intro for everything. You know what? I want to um, let the audience know both of your backgrounds, which I have here in front of me. But before that, since we have two people on here, just so the audience gets to know who's who, do you guys both want to just introduce yourselves real quick? Yeah, however you want to do, man. Yeah. So you want to start, Jeff? Sure. I'm I'm Jeff Wilson. I'm the obviously the better half of the Andrews and Wilson writing brand. Um, I spent. Uh, 16 years in the Navy and I uh, did some additional time doing contract work and that sort of thing. And uh, Brian and I met and started writing books together. Gosh, what's it been now? Like six years, something like that. Wow. And, and combat surgeon. You got to throw that out there. Yeah. So I was a combat surgeon with uh, Naval Special Warfare for a number of years. And um, I've been a pilot. I've been a firefighter. I've like, I, if you take your 10 year old kid and say, what do you want to be? Whatever he says, I've, done those things, those things. <laughs> my mom says i can't keep a job yeah. <laughs> and uh and brian you want to give a quick uh just synopsis of, of who you I are your background jeff because you know he has this when we first i got as an aside when we first started writing together and i saw his author bio and i was like dude you're like you gotta change your bio i mean it just sounds ridiculous <laughs> and he's like but why i did all those things and I said, yeah, I know, but nobody else is going to believe that but me. <laughs> so you're like, I, well, we, are, we are fiction writers. There you right? go. So, Brian, you just say, I'm Brian, yeah. and you leave it at it's that. Like, Jeff does you know say, that joke yeah, I'm Brian. Lasso where you've got you know, lasso and then you got beard. I'm just beard. I'm the guy that's like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So if Brian if Brian is going to downplay his background, I will give you Brian's background because I have it here. And it also is impressive. I mean, Brian is a nuclear engineer, served as an officer on a fast attack submarine in the Pacific and holds a master's degree in business from Cornell. So that's not too shabby. Not shabby. <laughs> 
Mashiach be it all. Well, let me let me just. Uh, I don't want to drag this out. No, too drag much. it out. We got we got time. I like said we don't want to go twenty five minutes. And be like, oh shit, we're done. No, keep dragging it out. Longer the better. Because because Brian never talks about this. So here's what's the most amazing thing about Brian's resume. So he was on nuclear subs, right? So he's a <laughs> nuclear submarine officer, but he went to that without an engineering degree. In fact, so he was a uh, psychology major at Vanderbilt University yeah, in the ROTC program. And when it came time for him, them, you know, the detailers were like, well, what do you want to do? And they had limited just to line officers. He had, he had planned on doing something else, like intelligence or something like that. And all those were closed. So he said, what do you want to do? And he said, um, I want to be on submarines. And they were like, okay, well, what do you want to do that you are qualified to do? Because <laughs> no engineering background whatsoever. You know, you wouldn't even pass the test. And Brian was like, oh, there's a test? So like, so if I take the test and I pass the test, I can be on sub? And they're like, yeah, dude, if you pass the test, yeah, like really, degree, then you can be on sub. So he got a stack of books as tall as my 10 year old or my 12 year old and crammed them for six weeks, took the test, did fantastic and wound up in the community um, with some people that weren't sure that he should be there, including one. He'll, maybe he'll tell you that story, this salty uh, commander that was in charge of the submarine uh, in the entire training pipeline. I was like, how the hell do you think you <laughs> Dude, keep going. I want to hear this. Yeah, how, you just like, hey, shit, yeah, I want to be a nuclear rocket scientist. Uh, here, where's the books? Can you give me the, the Cliff Notes for it? Cliff Notes version? Yeah, exactly. yeah how'd you do that, man? And you got on, and then I, I, keep going. I mean, I, this is interesting. We're, we're, I'm happy to start off with a sea story. I mean, if that's how the, we roll here, we're going to roll. No, we, we go. We, okay. we go everywhere. We're, we're we back for it. We'll talk about when you were one and yeah. one year old, and how you shit, how you shit your diapers too much, and that's where else. So we yeah, go everywhere. So, so yeah, you know, in, in the submarine community, we we basically wore diapers. We wore these poop suits, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, there, geez, but there is a it is a funny story because I was one of the few. I wanted to go be an Intel weenie and you know be a spook and and, and you know they they really rocked my world when they're like they closed that community, they closed restricted line, no JAG, no medical. Uh, you had to go unrestricted line, and I was like, oh, I guess I have to be a real a real naval officer. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, so I, I, I was awesome. I was fascinated by submarines and and decided that's what I wanted to do. And like Jeff said, it was it was kind of crazy because I had to I had to gouge myself up on all the engineering courses I hadn't taken to get ready. And yeah. and you cannot bullshit these guys um, at Naval Reactor. So when you go to DC for your for your test, you know if you're going into the test on um, thermodynamics. It's the guy who did the ranking cycle for the steam turbine that's on the 688, you oh. know, or if you're going in for like oh. the fuel plate design and nuclear physics, it's the actual dude who like figured out the, the calculations for the poison loading and the fuel density and all that stuff. So you cannot bullshit these guys. And, um, you know, I remember as I was going through all these, you, there's written tests and oral tests as I was going through all of them. And I just had this, building sense of dread, you know, like with each one, I'm like, oh, I'm just doing worse and worse and worse. And when they would ask me a question and I would answer it, they would give you that old, you know, is that, is that what yeah. you think? That, that's your final answer? <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my final answer. Uh, and so by the time I got through this, I'm thinking there is absolutely no way that I, that I made it. And um, so it was Admiral McKee, who was uh, 
a Rickover. He was Rickover's prodigy, really. And he kept a lot of the Rickover traditions from the interview process. So Rickover is sort of famous for screwing with all the applicants. He would do things like he would cut an inch off of one of the legs of the chair. So the chair would rock, you know, or he would come in and he would, he would be, you know, standing at the window looking out, you know, and holding their file and he'd just make them wait. He'd see how long people would wait. He'd, he'd do all sorts of games and stuff. So I think McKee had, picked up on some of these and he believed in that that you know interview technique that hey if you can't handle an interview how are you going to handle you know a casualty in an engine room on a nuclear submarine so this is all part of the ethos of getting accepted um of course i didn't know that till later right it didn't tell me until after but so i'm sitting in the hallway all of us applicants were in the hallway and, and his um aide was a full bird captain. I don't even know how many captains I'd met at that point in my, you know, midshipman career. So I'm, I'm waiting there and he, he gets me to the door. He said, now listen, um, midshipman, when you go in there, you're going to sit down and do not address the admiral until he addresses you. And even if he makes you wait, you know, you're just going to wait. Do you understand? I understand. So I go in, I sit down, he, the, the, the 06 comes in, he's, he's standing at the door and then McKee's at his desk. And I can see that he has my file open on his desk. And so I'm looking at it upside down and I've got my little picture and, and uh, all my scores. I can't quite see my scores though. You know, he's just far enough away. I can't see how I did. So he's looking at this thing and it, you know, it probably was like 10 seconds, but it felt like an hour. that <laughs> he made me wait. So he's looking down and he looks up and he says, what the fuck business does a psychology major have wanting to come in my nuclear Navy? And I, I remember, you know, Jeff and I talk about this in writing. You know, we always, not always, but sometimes we'll put, you know, time slows down. You know, you put that in the narrative. So the character, everything slows down. And for me, like, I feel like that really happened at this moment in my life. Like, Time slowed down. I feel my heartbeat. I'm looking at this guy looking at me. And I remember thinking like, I have one choice. Either I fold like a coward or I just punch back, you know? And uh, the decision just hit hit me. And I just said, well, you need me. He said, I need you. I said, yes, sir. You need me. Because I'm the only one out there in that whole hallway of engineers who actually has a different point of view. He's like, what, what point of view do you have that's different? And I said, well, I'm a psychology major. And I said, you know, when you're down there, you have all these guys thinking one way. You're going to want somebody like me who looks at the problem differently, who might keep his head under pressure, who, who's going to analyze the information, maybe come to a different solution and give the captain, you know, a different alternative than everybody else. And I saw, like, you know, I think I got him, you know, like maybe just just a little bit nibbled yeah. on that. You know, I just saw the twinkle in his eyes. And, uh, you know, he kind of right. pushed right. back and he said, well, I don't think you're technically qualified to do this. And I said, well, you can see my grades in the, in, in, at Vanderbilt and my scores. And I said, you know, and I, and I sort of told the story that Jeff did. You know, I, I decided the last minute to do this and I prepared and this is how well I did in this amount of preparation, blah, blah. And then he just says, get out, get the hell out of my office. And he kicks me out. 
And I go back out there. I remember some other guys said, how did it go? And I said, I don't think it went very well. And they're like, you think you're in? I was like, no, no, I don't think I'm in. No. And, uh, you know, they make you fly all the way back. And then, and then I got the news later that, that I had been accepted. That's, that's a great story. Actually, <laughs> that's, you, that is, that's I, I, you got story. me nibbling on that too. I'm looking at man, that's, that's a damn good answer. I mean, it, <laughs> but you think now as you're, as you're older and I'm, I, I keep saying I'm 50 people. No, I'm 40. My wife keeps reminding me I'm 49. I, you think back now, I go, God dang it, man, he bullshitted the hell out of that. That was complete bullshit, but it was awesome bullshit. And if I was your commander, <laughs> I would have said, you know what? I, he's so full of shit, but that was awesome answer. All right. I got nothing. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pick him. And and obviously you got picked and you went on and had a great career. Um, and you, yeah, you didn't have any nuclear meltdown. So obviously that six weeks of studying really, yeah. <laughs> really, really, really did pay off, but I know we, I, I want to get to because I want to come back to you, Brian, because just working on subs to me, being an army guy is, is in itself, it would be torturous. I, you know, I just was on a ship for a little while and that sucked. So, but I want to get to Jeff as well. So, um, Jeff, I know we got Brian here. Jeff, tell us a little bit. We got the pictures in the background. We're going to talk about them yeah. initially, but we got you now. So, let's, let's talk about all your training. And then, I, man, also that picture with you in the flight suit. Where yeah. what was what was that? That always. Yeah, all I that, wish we had a visual here for the podcast because I know we're just audio, but yeah, he's Jeff's got these awesome photos behind him, as Chris said, in the flight suit, in the plane. There's, there's, yeah, these are, and they were just really well done to have those behind you. And being a yeah. being a ranger, the cat cast, you guys are like the angels in the sky, yeah. man. So I well, love seeing that stuff. Here's what I specialized in when I was in the Navy. I specialized in doing things that can't be done by just like Brian's story about the submarines. Like, so I had um, early on, I was a, I was, went to uh, OCS to become a pilot. I got in a motorcycle accident. It was 86. They had like all these people in the pipeline, way more than they had billets for because of the Graham Rudman cuts. And so I got cut out of the program before I got very far along just because of an injury. They were like, you can stay in the Navy. But we got aviation billets and I had already been a, I was already a pilot. My dad's a fighter pilot uh, and then an airline pilot. So I went and flew civilian for a few years. I flew corporate jets and that sort of thing. And um, during that time, I just felt like, you know, that kind of aviation is not really what I was looking for. I wasn't looking to just haul stuff sure. around. I wanted to do something that mattered. I'd been a firefighter paramedic before this, that sense of, uh, you, know, you guys can relate to this. You get up, you go to work, whether you're in the mood to go to work or not, when you come home, you know, it mattered yeah. that you went to work. And I didn't have that. So I wound up working for um, another, another agency within the United States government for a period of time. Um, went in initially to fly, but they had this requirement. You had to do other operational stuff first before you could do these flying billets and did that for a while. And um, it was a pretty, you know, I experienced my first real violence and, um, I'm not sure if what bothered me was that I hated it or more that I didn't hate it, but whatever it was, it didn't sit, you know, sure. after a period of time, I was like, you know what, <laughs> we weren't at war. It was like, maybe it's time for a life of peace. So I went to medical school and that was what I was going to do. I was going to be a vascular surgeon. I was going to be in academics. I was going to like write papers and do research and all that. And I was still in training towards the end of my training when those jackasses crashed the planes into the towers. And yeah. I was able I was a naval reservist at the time, planning because I always want to have some connection. You know what I mean? You, you come from a family that serves. Once you've served, it's hard not to serve. So 
I was in the reserves. They crashed the planes in the towers and the Pentagon. And um, it just, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. It just pissed me off, like really bad. Yeah. So I called the uh, detailer and I said, I want to go back on active duty. And he goes, oh, you want to immobilize? I was like, no, you don't understand. I want to return to active duty. I want to be a mobilized yeah, reserve. Yeah. So they worked that out. I went to uh, Portsmouth Naval Hospital, got on the first deployment I could, went uh, downrange with the uh, Marines as part of a Frisk team. Yep. Um, I know, Chris, you're familiar with that, but basically that's yep. the, the forward resuscitative system, sort of like the MASH, I guess, mm-hmm. but we move to the forward edge of the battlefield. While I was downrange on that deployment, I ran into some people from my weird dark past who said, hey, you know what you'd be really good at? And then there was, uh, can't tell too many of these stories, I guess, but there was this weird screening instead of the screening and, uh, you know, Choker whites yeah. like Brian did. Mine was in the back booth at a bar in Virginia <laughs> Beach, and, and inviting me to this place, and it's like this smoky bar, and everyone's got beers. And I'm, who are you yeah, guys? Yeah, I, I, I got a story like that. Fun. That too. I got. Where, yeah. I know you. Do. I know you do. Okay. You're like, what I the hell you. is this for? You're like, am I being? Am I being Aston Kutcher right now? Aston Kutcher? Am I being punked right now? <laughs> <laughs> Or am I going to have a bag over my I head? <laughs> right. So, um, so anyway, I wound up doing that. And um, basically, and Chris, you can appreciate this more than anybody probably. They, they, at that time, this is like 2004, 2005. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things were not just busy, but highly kinetic. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. we were doing a lot of denied area stuff. You know, by denied area, I'm talking about politically as well yeah. as physically. Yeah. Yeah. Um the tasking that they had was so high tempo that they, and, and as you know, they have a medical unit that supports right. that, but the, you know, the footprint for it is like yeah. bigger than the six guys that are going to go, yeah. right, do their thing. Yeah. So they were looking to see, Hey, look, can we design a medical system? That's basically you're the system like you and one dude, like we'll take an 18 Delta. You can train yeah. them up however you want. We took them through a trauma training program at a major level on trauma center and so we designed this system where me and another dude could support a very small footprint operation in denied areas for up to 48 hours with just what we could carry Turn on back. our back. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it was cool. It was like really cool stuff. You felt like you were doing something important, um, made some of the best friendships of my life. The brotherhood is, you know, yeah. everything, as you know, um, did that for a while. And then, um, and then I didn't. <laughs> so, and um, I assume which led to you guys doing the book series, which we'll get into. Um, we, of course, have to get into the tier one series. And one thing I'll point out, your publicist does not mess around because I, so a lot of the times Chris and I will get like digital copies of stuff and I'll say, you know, send us over a physical copy if you can. And she was like, I'm going to send you the full box set. So that's why I was that, over yeah, here. I got the whole thing. Yep. So I have collateral <laughs> tier one. Yeah. Of of this whole full series, War Shadows. You sent all these Crusader. <laughs> yeah, I did too. American Operator. Like who the hell sent me all these books? Right and goodness. at this point, I'm like, I have to book these guys, even if they're not good. I have to book them just because <laughs> they bothered to send all this. And then I even have Jeffrey's solo book, yeah. Yeah. which is War Torn, and which is really cool because it's different than your usual Navy SEAL protagonist. This is a more faith based book as you can see with the cross on there and it, and it's um, about a national guard uh, member who has issues of faith and they're torn in their well, faith. So I want to get into all of it. And it was just awesome to get all these books, 
But how did you guys hook up? And the thing that's crazy for me is like what Chris and I do, I feel like it actually makes it easier to do a podcast with someone. Chris could talk about things that I can't. And I think I could talk about certain things Chris can't. But for fiction books, I would think it's really tough to have someone who shares your same vision and is able to write the same book that you want to write. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I thought, too, which is why uh, which is why Brian, had, basically, Brian was a stalker for about a year. Uh, and I will say, this is obviously, we've been hugely successful, and it's a model that works. And, you know, we can talk later about, we've got all these new series coming out. It's just been an amazing ride. Um but it was Brian's brainchild. Like I was, we met at uh, Thriller Fest, which is the largest thriller um, fiction meeting in the world. And this, this is when you both were out, though. Are you still reserved or guarded? We both, had, we both had books out. We were part of a debut author class gotcha. uh, at ITW, and uh, I had, I guess, my second book was just coming out. Time wise, he had one out, another coming. But as Chris um, said, no longer serving. No longer serving, though. You guys were out. out of- I was still doing some other, like some consulting. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so we were both pursuing the writing thing. We were both still working in other jobs. And uh, we just met there and became friends. You know, I'm not a very social person. Like, so there's these, there's hundreds of writers and thousands of people. And, like, I'm sitting with Wendy in my in our hotel room with the little booklet. And I'm, like, circling the, the people who are military I'm trying to like memorize their faces. Like I'm going to, you know, put a bag over their head and pull them off. <laughs> and, it, and it's true because I just will jump in here. There's not a lot of them, you know, like I remember with um, AJ Tata, who's now in the Trump administration. Uh, I went to like a Kensington book events event with him and, you know, there's a handful of other military guys and you want to meet them. Um, I'm trying to think of actually, there was another great military author I met well, who's a former Marine, but usually on these labels, there's hundreds of authors and maybe, I don't know, five or six military guys. Yeah. And it's a little better represented now, you know, 20 years into wartime, it's, uh, it's a little easier to find guys, but, um, yeah, but Tony is a good friend of ours actually. So he's a great guy, great writer. Uh, Don Bentley's another one. He was an FBI agent after yep. being a attack pilot, uh, helicopter pilot for a while. Uh, Josh Hood uh, is a is an army dude, another ranger guy. And um, there's a bunch, there's not a bunch, but there's a handful. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, these are the dudes I want to talk to. Like, I don't want to talk to anybody else. And, you know, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't even want to go to this little cocktail thing. Wendy was like, look, we came to New York, you're going to go. <laughs> it's yeah. networking, That's what you're supposed to do. So I'm like memorizing all these faces. And uh, thinking, all right, I'm, I'll just talk to some other military guys. That'll be comfortable. And um, we go to this cocktail reception, and I chatted with a couple of people. And I see this guy sitting at a table by himself with a drink, like eating the nuts out of the bowl. And, you know. He was like crying at that point. And- <laughs> he was like in his face. He had a little tear. <laughs> You're on a little tear running it's like, down. It's like these bullies. He would, he would say something to him and he'd go like this. And I was like, oh, that's got to be the submarine guy, right? Like, clearly. <laughs> so, out of pity, out of the right. goodness of my heart, I went, right. that's how you remember, right? I went over and I said, hey, little fella. You look, <laughs> you look a little uncomfortable. Uh, no, all kidding aside, I did find him. I did seek him out. I said, "Hey, man, I'm I'm Jeff Wilson," and we had met briefly at the breakfast, the debut author breakfast, and uh, we wound up talking. And we're married to similar women, and where we have kids the same age, and like our we have you know faith, and we have a fam- the same family values. So, like we were just the same guy, and so we became very very fast friends 
immediately. But it was later that the writing, the writing thing kind of came up. And that was Brian just hounding me and he just wouldn't leave me alone. Right. And, and Brian, go into the, well, I know I mean, I, we're, we're, we're trying to share time here, but you guys both, I, I love it. Cause you both like to, you both like to talk, which, which is fantastic. Cause then I don't have to rant. Yeah. It's good for us. <laughs> is that how you, re- is that how you remember? Or was he sitting there crying? Well, I, I mean, Come all on I'm going to point out for, for the listeners is, you know, he went first and he did admit that he, he Facebooked me, right. He went through the little picture book. He circled my picture and he found me. So, Really, who is the stalker in the story? You're right. There, there's a swipe left, swipe right joke right, somewhere in right. there, but I, mean, I don't. I, I will. I think we know who the stalker easy. is. I was minding my own business at this cocktail party. <laughs> I may or may not have been by myself. That was hard to remember. <laughs> so many cocktail parties, you know, so many famous people that you want want to talk to you and, and stuff like that. But <laughs> no, we, the, 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 it is a fun story though because we did. You know, you know how it is at, at any of these events. Yeah. It's very easy and comfortable in, in the military folks. You just sort of gravitate towards each other. And even yeah. if you even if you're not sure if somebody's military, it's funny when you're in a group of three or four people talking, you end up finding yourself getting a rapport or a quick, yeah. you know, sort of I don't know what that feeling is, like you just get along with somebody right it's off the bat. It's just a connection. Yeah, you get that connection and then you're like later you're like find out, oh, this dude, you 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 share yeah. history and you find out, oh, this guy's a vet, you know, and it's just like that yeah. shared yeah. experience. So, I mean, that, that is true. And, and we became pretty fast friends and it was a couple years in before we were in between books. So like, I think Jeff, like he said, he had a second out and I had my first out and we had both finished the next book in our, in our individual work. And, um, and I just thought, you know, it would be sort of cool to do like a seals and subs book. And um, we kicked around this idea and, and um, he was a hard sell. I'll, I'll give him that. He was a hard sell. Because I remember I, when I sort of said, you know, we could collaborate on this. He's like, yeah, but how would that work? You know, I mean, all, writing is sort of a solitary thing. You know, I've got my method. You probably got yours. How would we do this? Yeah. And um, I think my pitch was, hey, look, um, you know, we're both military guys. We worked in teams. Like everything we did in the service was collaboration. I don't I don't think this would be that big of a stretch. We would just divide and conquer. It's sort of, you know, we'd share all the the brainstorming and we'd divide up the the writing duties. He's like, okay, well, he's like, maybe tell you what, he's like, the idea sounds pretty cool. I'll help you with it. And, you know, let's, let's just start. And I said, okay. He manipulated, he manipulated me. He manipulated me. Right. He's not, <laughs> not hearing what he's really saying. The psychology major ran a ran a game on. It did. He did. This sounds just I like know. his interview with the sub with yeah. the nuclear guy. It's yeah. the exact it's same, same thing. It's he's like <laughs> he he tells me all that. We he starts. We start brainstorming it. This book becomes like fantastic. And then he's like, "I'll tell you what, Jeff. <laughs> Why don't we do this? We'll write five chapters." And if it goes well, we'll keep going. And if it doesn't, you can keep the story. It'll be yours. Yeah. I'll give it up. You can have it. So he just totally. But it, and, but I'm just thinking, if it doesn't go well, you're going to be like, what What the hell am I going to do with this? Why would oh, you even no, want I the story then? It, let me tell you, because by this time, you have the whole story arc mapped out. It's like this, well, you've read, if you've read tier one, you've got it there. But tier one became the first book in the series and it was a great story. And I was very excited about it by this point. So I went yeah. into the first five <laughs> chapters thinking 
I just got a book idea. Yeah. And I was wondering too, too, with that, with just the eye, the concept itself, did you guys think to yourselves, I mean, just the obvious I would think is these guys like Brad Thor have had so much success with the Navy SEAL novels. Were you thinking, let's kind of ride that? I don't know if it was that as much as we just thought that maybe we could bring something different than, um, you know, a Brad Thor. Obviously, Brad Taylor has served and, you know, there's other people, you know, Jack our, Carr, our good friend Jack has, as obviously he was out on the West Coast. Um, so there are people out there who have done it, but most people that are writing these thriller novels haven't okay. done it. And so what we thought was maybe what we can bring that's different is a realism. And I'm not talking here about, you know, the right weapon and, sure. you know, how you, how you fast rope. I'm talking about the characters. Like what we thought, what we envisioned was we can write an exciting action story where the characters are like the people we know instead of these superheroes that are always yeah. in the, you know, um, and so that was sort of our vision was that we could bring something a little fresh and a little bit different. Um, I don't know if we did that or not, but I know that the book sold pretty well. Well, and that's, it's, it is, it's, you, you know, on a movie screen, stuff like that, you do want to see the right application of tactics, at least a military guy, if, if even with 13 hours for say, or lone survivor, black Hawk down, we, the, the mishandling of one weapon system can screw up a movie, but on a book, getting to know what's in going in somebody's head when they're deployed, when you see somebody die and you don't know if that's okay. And you're trying to, that's what people want to read. And that's what I want to read. And that's what I, so you have that experience. That's why those, when you say fiction, I, I put, you know, quotation around fiction books when you have veterans writing fiction books, because really they're not, they may not have the same character names. You're, you're portraying somebody different than the actual person because it's supposed to be a fiction book, but you're getting the real, emotions because that's where you're pulling them from. And that's, what's so great about these books. And why I think people should read veterans fiction books. Cause to me, they're not really fiction. They're, they're, they're based on events that actually happen. And those feelings are real that you're getting in there. And that's what you want to read. That's what I want to read when I read books. That's when I first started reading, reading any books, whether it was the real books from Vietnam with the Charlie Ranger books to the fiction books from the wars that we had, uh, back when I was growing up, it was, I wanted to know what they were feeling like. That's what drove me to be the Ranger, not the actual, well, the blowing shit up and shooting things was cool. I'm not going to say it wasn't, but it was, man, these, th- these guys are harder than nails and the things they go through, those, that emotional roller coaster. I want to experience that emotional roller coaster, which is what, I, again, I, that's why I have a hard time calling your books fiction because I don't, I think they're, they're, they're based in, they're based in reality, definitely. And, and, Especially, I, I get that, you know, the, the killing of somebody and, hey, is this the right thing? Did I just break a commandment? When you talk about that, I, I understand. But that's not fiction. That's real because I, I know what that feeling is. And I remember going to my pastor and saying after the first time I did it and went, am I going to hell? I, I don't know if I'm right doing this. And, you know, and, and he talked me through it, of course. So that's a whole nother podcast being I could probably do. But that's what I love about the books. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time calling them fiction. I, I because uh, to me, they're, they're really not, they're just, I, they're just characters with different names is all. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge compliment. Chris. I'll tell you that the, um, the characters <laughs> in these books, in, the, in these new series we're writing, they are based on real people. Yeah. I, I, it's more common. I think that with each character is sort of an amalgam of several. several people. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you pull that one story. It's like, how can I tell that story without, yeah, that does make it a lot more fun to write and hopefully to hopefully to read as well. Oh no, it does. It does because it, it, you reading you want that emotion to come out 
and you wanted to come out, not visually, you wanted to come out, uh, it, you know, I don't, what's the, help me out. I, psychologists, I, help me out. The smart words where you want something, I guess it still is visually in your head. Where's my thesaurus when I need it, but you want to come, it to come out in your thoughts. You want to think about those feelings and you remember the smells and sights and, and, and the, 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 the things that, the, the, you know, the things you heard, the acoustic, just everything. And you, it does, it brings you back to a moment where like something similar happened. And oh man, I remember all that, not just on the screen. I'm, I'm thinking about it in my head and it's even more vivid. And it, it, it's good to feel that. Honestly, it's it, to me, it's cathartic. It's therapeutic to read that. And like, wow, I remember going through that. Something similar, man, that's what I felt. Okay, let's go to the next page. And then I can go to the next page and forget about it and keep moving on. But, um, yeah, Brian, you know, if you can expound on that, how did how did that come into play with your experiences on the submarine um, where you started writing and you were drawing those realistic moments that you went through when you served and the things, some of the things that you saw, which I'm sure weren't all, you know, roses and rainbows and sunshine all the time. Yeah, I think that when you, Jeff and I talk about that, when you're serving at the tip of the spear, you have these um long moments of long periods of boredom <clears throat> that are punctuated yeah, yeah. <laughs> by moments of abject terror, right? And you don't know yeah. when they're gonna happen. And and so, you know, it's it's how do people respond under pressure and how do you lean on each other? And you know, sometimes you have you you have a good day and sometimes you have a bad day. And yeah. it's even interesting too that, you know, one day you you're feeling courageous and and powerful and on top of the world. And maybe the next day, just your brain chemistry is off or you didn't get enough sleep or whatever. And you're just, you might not bring your A game. And that's where this whole, I think, team concept comes in. And one of the things that we set out to do a little differently in this series was we wanted to embrace this idea of camaraderie and, and the team. And, you know, you're a little bit constrained in fiction because readers want a hero. They it's very important that you have a strong protagonist that people can relate to and want to cheer for. <clears throat> and that's why you have like your Mitch Raps and your Jack Ryans and Jason yeah. Bournes. You have to have a hero. And we knew that. We couldn't just write only about a team. But at the same time, we said, you know, in real life, it doesn't happen that way. There isn't just this John Wayne character who goes out there with his M4 and caps every single bad guy on the X, Right. So we said, we're going to be very intentional. And the opening chapter of tier one is on an infill on a black Hawk. And you're with the entire, you know, element, the entire fire team that's going in on this and they're just bullshitting. And so you get to see right out of the gate that, okay, yeah, it's John Dempsey's point of view in that chapter, but it's him interacting with all these other guys. And so their personalities come up and they, they hit this cargo ship and and that opening sequence in tier one is, I think it's four chapters long. The action is four chapters and we walk you through the whole thing. And it's from, you know, when they touch down and they hit the deck, all the things that go wrong and how all the people in that fire team work their way through this problem through the exfil. And so when you're done with that, you know, that, four chapters, you're like, feel like, man, I just went on that op. And I know, 
I know these guys a little bit. I see that there's a team and it wasn't just one guy who took this ship by himself. And we've tried to carry that through the series. And I think that is our big point of difference. And it's, it's resonated with people. I feel like I always ask this when we have fiction authors on, but with the new newest book being collateral, uh, if someone wants to, you know, they're liking this interview, they want to get into the series. Can they start with collateral or do they have to go back to book one? So that's a, that's a good question. And we're, because we're also business people, right? This is how we make our living. We're pretty intentional about making sure that each and every book can stand by itself. So we feel like any book in the series, you can pick it up and thoroughly enjoy it. It's got a, it's got an arc from start to finish. We do tend to write the books in trilogies. So the first three books, it's sort of, you know, this is, comes back to the realism and, and personalities and stuff, you know, in real life, you don't go on the op and get the HVT yeah. and that entire operation is done, right? Yeah. Like you climb your way up that chain, man. It takes sometimes a whole deployment, sometimes multiple. Multiple. Yeah. And so what we try to do is in, in our books, our first three books is a trilogy that we, we, privately call our Persian trilogy because the puppet master there is uh, Vivac in Iran and uh, they're running false flag operations. And you don't see the end of that arc until the end of the third book. And then in book four, five and six, we're focused on a Russian threat. So um, but each individual book can definitely stand alone. But if you've read the others, you definitely will get some little Easter eggs that are just for you and you'll enjoy it a little more. I think a we try to do it in a way that the, someone reading it for the first time in the middle won't know they're missing anything, but the person that has read the other books definitely picks up some stuff that the others don't. Okay, that's a good answer. I, and I had a question for you, Jeff. Of the book that you did separately, you did um, War Torn, as I said, is a more faith-based book about a guy whose National Guard you know, separates from the Navy SEAL thing. So you guys both said faith is a part of your life. What, what inspired that book to do something more yeah. faith-based? So that book was actually um, not part of our business model. That book wasn't written to help pay my bills. I, um, you know, the, the, if you read that book, you'll find the struggle that this guy goes through. And, and um, Chris, you alluded to this, that feeling of in real life, you don't just cap the bad guy and, you know, show the X S on your shirt, right? You go, wow. I mean, if you read any of, um, if you read any of, uh, what's the ranger that became the psychologist? Um, Grossman. Grossman. If you, yeah. read, you read any of his books, killing and having people try to kill you is a very unnatural state to be yeah. in. And uh, there's a lot of psychological things about it that, that Brian can talk to better than I can. But I can tell you that from a faith perspective, it can cause an enormous crisis in your faith. Yeah. Not necessarily a crisis of faith, right? Like, not like you say, oh, maybe there's no God. Yeah. yeah. It's, more, it's worse than that. Yeah. It's like, no, I think there's a God and I think maybe he's a jerk. Like I, like maybe he just doesn't care. Like maybe, how, why would you let these things happen? Yeah. And, um, you know, you see some horrible things, especially when you're working beside operators at that level, you see some really horrible shit. Well, it's, it, and, you have to rationalize, you rationalize what you're doing, but you rationalize it with faith. And I, I always use the commandments. Okay. I, I did break it. Did I break it? And that was did like, did, 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 that's what my question was to my pastor. At the time, did, did I did I break my commandment? Thou shalt not kill. Well, he was a bad guy. Well, what's a bad guy? You know, am I? Wait, what if I'm the bad guy? And, and, and you start having your, your question. I'm a bad guy to him. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. No, but but it wasn't even that those guilt issues as much as just the feeling of, um, you know, there wasn't really a presence of God in the things that I was seeing. And it made me question elements of my faith, you know, that 
Romans 8.28 thing where, you know, oh, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. When you're a young Christian or an 18-year-old and you haven't experienced war, that sounds like it means sunshine and rainbows, right? It yeah. sounds like it's like, oh, if I believe in God, then, like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be – that's not – first of all, that's not what it says. But you have to have some life experience before you or realize you know. that. It says. And then how do you rectify what it really means, which is uh, you're going to have some suck in your life. But if you're putting it. To me, then good can come from it. And here's the really fun part. It might not even be good for you. The good that comes from it might have nothing to do with you. Well, that's hard to rectify, right? When you lose people that are close to you, uh, like we did in in August of 2011. Um, And so many of those men were people of incredible faith and they lost children. And so there's those questions that come up. So that book was written actually as part of a ministry. So I um, have the honor of leading a men's military ministry at Grace Family Church, which is a wow. big multi-site, you know, five campuses, six campuses now, 12,000-member yeah. church in uh, in Tampa. And uh, I coordinate the ministry for three of the five campuses right now. We're adding another one. And so when I wrote that book, it was really part of that ministry. It was like, because I got challenged to, to start up this ministry, and I had not resolved any of these questions for myself. But I met with uh, Chris Bonham, who's a a senior executive pastor at the church. And I was like, I got like, like, I got a question. Like, I'm not sure I'm the guy. Like, um, what, what am I going to say to these guys? Like, yeah, I agree. Where the hell's God. Right. Like, and so we met and we talked about it and that turned into this book. And so this book was really written as part of that ministry. Uh, It's a book we've made available to other similar ministries um, as well. Um, you know, through it, I've met some amazing guys. I think you guys know Chad Robichaud, who's uh, an incredible guy uh, and an incredible man of faith. And so it's been an honor to, to share the book with people, but also the people that I've made, the connections I've made. And now Brian and I are going to be writing a faith-based series for Tyndale House, which is like, you know, when I was, when we were so successful, I remember thinking I was at the height of this ministry and I was like praying all the time, like, so God, thank you for this money and, and this success and this best friend that I get to write with and it's great life. But you know, what am I really doing? That's like, how do I, how am I using this to bring glory to you? And I wrote the book war torn, but I always had this vision that we could do something where we could incorporate our family values, our faith values and action thrillers. And then it just sort of fell out of the sky. Literally uh, Tyndale house was looking to expand and grow their male readership. They wanted something that was action and adventure a buddy of ours that I think you guys might know, Josh Hood, yeah. uh, had an encounter with someone from Tyndale House, and they said, "Hey, do you have anything like comfortable?" And he's like, "If you know Josh, he's like, Nah, I don't write that kind of shit. I'm I just gonna kill both characters and stuff." But you know, <laughs> you know who might? And they, he said, "Brian Andrews and Jeff Wilson. I know they. I talked to them, and they had something." And so they actually reached out to us and said, "Do you have something?" And we had this concept that we had laid out. And uh, so now we have this new series of books called The Shepherds coming out from Tyndale House next September, the first book uh, of a three book deal. And we get to incorporate both uh, sort of speculative supernatural elements of faith that are all biblical with action adventure, former Navy SEAL and the shadowy organization that is, you know, it's that spiritual warfare that goes on around us uh, that we're not all aware of. So. What an amazing opportunity uh, for Brian and I to be able to bring all that together in one book. And Brian, with those and talking about faith, your experiences with faith. And as much as we we like to have fun and joke, I I would say that 
Battle Line podcast is faith based, even though I cuss, yeah. cuss a little bit too much for. Yeah, that's why we're not in the faith based category. Yeah, I think like, about like there's probably going to be someone listening to Joel Osteen yeah. and then they listen to us and they're like, <laughs> oh, this is just wrong. What the hell, man? You know? <laughs> it's not bad. But, uh, you know, we're going to feel like that offline when we're doing that. already happened up with our faith-based series where people are like, you know the kind of language no, that I, I, It's like, you know, God still loves me even though I say the F-bomb every once in a while. He's, uh, it's okay. It's like, but you, your experiences, because, you know, we talked about Jeff and, you know, about his experience, at least briefly, which – I do want people to hopefully get back on the show again, and maybe you can even talk about that incident if you ever can. But um, Brian, yourself, because people need to have faith in their lives. They need to have God, and they need to know that you don't have to be perfect, straight line. I mean, obviously, with my experiences, people that know me know that I am far from perfect, but I still believe in God, and I know God's out there, and He's part of my life. And I put them in even the writings of my second two books that that I did. But where was your experience, and when did when did you say, "Hey, yeah, we need to get him in here, Jeff. Let's let's start doing this Tyndall series." Or was this all Jeff's idea? So I just divert back to Jeff and just have <laughs> Jeff talk to me. I am not in charge of this. <laughs> I mean, I think that you know, I'm trying to remember the genesis of this. We started working on it while we were working on right after Tier One, maybe, or I think it was like after, yeah. It was, no more than a couple of books in we were just I I don't remember the exact genesis of I mean we'd had many discussions about it and we we started working on it and then we I think we we sort of put it in a drawer for a little while because we had some other opportunities and you know you can I'm not sure how familiar you, you guys are but like in in the fiction um publishing business you typically have to sell a complete manuscript, you know, in, in nonfiction, you can sell on proposal, but in fiction, it, yeah, yeah. it's difficult unless you're, you know, unless you're pretty established to sell on proposal. And, you know, we wanted to get to that point and, you know, thankfully I we're at that point now, but when we started on this book, we, we had enough on our plate. We said, well, we, this is important. We really want to, we really want to write this book and we're not sure where it's going. So we're going to, we'll just kind of work on it when we can, but we weren't trying to sell it on proposal and it wasn't done, but the first 50 pages were very powerful. And um, I think everybody has, not everybody, but I mean, everyone dabbles with certain elements of spirituality and how religion and, you know, I guess I've always just wrestled with, you know, you know, I was born in America and I was born to Catholic parents and um, you know, I, I've always struggled with, you know, how is it that somebody born somewhere else who didn't have my education or my experiences, you know, what is their, is their spirituality or their religion less valid than my own? And, and that's, I think one of the questions that's always driven me. And I think if you look across all cultures and religions, I mean, it's the morality not the specifics of your faith, right? And so, yeah. even in um, <clears throat> even in this story, one of the things that's interesting is you know it focuses on a a Christian protagonist, but we're not trying to limit the spirituality only to the Christian True. faith. Is that correct, Jeff? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's definitely it's definitely written for for a Christian audience. I'm obviously writing it from a Christian perspective, but 
But I think that maybe a better way to say it is it's not focused on a specific yeah. ideology or a religious. Yeah. So it's not it's not Catholic. It's not Presbyterian. It's not Methodist. I mean, obviously, it's a Christian perspective. It's, you know, tons of New Testament in this book. How fun was that to be able to put scripture into a book where you then shoot a terrorist like we just you know. <laughs> but um for sure, we were very, very, very intentional about making this and what I guess the best word would yeah. be non-denominational or an ecumenical book where it's about the value. Like you use the word values, Brian. I think that's right. It's about morality. It's about the ethos. It's about um, the ethics that are biblical without saying a doctrine. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not. There's no doctrine in it. And I, to be honest, that's the reason I go to the church I go to is it's not a doctrinally based church, right? It's about, it's biblically based. It's like, you know, here's what, look, here's what the Bible says. You, y'all do with it what you will, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, yeah. this is what it says. Um, and so we tried very hard to make it uh, that way just because we want it to be approachable. We want it to be something that is available for everybody because I think that as humans, we innately yeah. know right from wrong. Oh yeah. No. We innately know that there's something bigger than us out there. We innately know and that, you know, the Bible even says that this is something that we know. Um, you don't have to be raised in a in a Catholic family to know that there's something larger than yourself and that there is right and wrong. Um, and so we sort of set out from that perspective, I guess, you know, non-denominational, non-doctrinal, I guess, might be a good way to say well, And that's, you know, honestly, if whether you guys meant to do it or not, you hit it on the head from being a guy on the ground that worked alongside and fought alongside Muslims, fought alongside even Hindus. And this wasn't just American born. This is actually, these are Afghanis or we're on the border of India, you know, down in India and, and, and Afghanistan, uh, India and Pakistan. And, and knowing that I don't care if he wasn't Christian, he's right next to me. I, I don't, I don't judge it. No, he's fighting alongside me. And that was what you just said. And I actually say that a lot of my speaking events, you know, as a Christian, I'm not going to tell you, what to believe in. Just know that there's something else out there, something bigger than you out there. And also as a Christian, I'm not going to tell you what to believe in. If you believe in something else, just believe in something, stand beside, stand beside me and have virtue. I think virtue is the huge. So whether you intended to or not, the guys on the ground were fighting. That's exactly what we think. I don't give shit. He's a Christian. You're Muslim. You want to fight. You're fighting with me, right? Hey, we're on the team together. Let's go. And it made no difference at all. So just that's, to me, that's perfect. That is a perfect view of Christianity as being non-judgmental. We know what we believe in. Even as Christians, though, we may may interpret the Bible a little differently or how we live our life. But we all believe that there is something bigger than us out there. That, well, that's and amazing. Even that, and even that's biblical, right, Chris? Yeah. Like the, all of Romans 12 yeah. is designed. The entire chapter is just like, who the hell do you think? Who do you, you think? You are? You are? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, I mean, I, they probably wouldn't put that in the Bible. But that's what it, but that's what it says. <laughs> The, the, the header should be who the hell do you yeah. think you are? Paul goes on this long tirade about like, so this guy doesn't want to eat meat. You want to eat meat? Who are you to like yeah. try to screw him up? Like just leave him alone. Let him do what he wants to do. And I, it, another funny thing that you made me think of when you were talking is um, there's a lot of people who haven't served have this vision of those of us that have been downrange frequently as being very anti-Muslim. Oh, yeah. Because they're the enemy. And that's right? completely opposite. It is com- so far off the truth. Yeah. I mean, like I think of the people that I fought beside and then the weird stuff like and Brian and I were talking about this the other day, where I, by by the time 2011, 2010, by the time that time got around, you might be fighting beside a guy and you look over and he's got these scars and you're like, I might have 
<laughs> we, were like, we were not friends like five years ago your group and, and our group and now so there's all that weirdness but i remember um this there i was in 2012 late 2012 i was in afghanistan with a group and i had uh i had an interpreter assigned to me that was just like my dude because i had to travel oh, yeah. a lot of yep. some weird stuff so um it was a kid named romeo i don't know his real name but we called him romeo not for the reasons you think, but um, it sounded the most like the name we couldn't pronounce. And he was the coolest and he, he was Muslim and he was the coolest kid I've ever met. And I learned so much from him, not just um, cultural stuff, but moral stuff, like philosophical stuff. Like this was a he was like 22 and he would be like, uh, oh, Mr. Jeff, Mr. Jeff, you know, you guys think that you can just come in and make the Taliban leave here and it'll all be OK. But you know, no one in that village can read, right? Like they only know what someone comes in and tells them. And so as soon as you leave, yeah. someone will come in and tell them we're supposed to kill you again. And we'll probably kill you again because we don't know how to read. You should really bring teachers is what you should <laughs> and, and isn't that pretty uh, kind of an ironic thing? Because the people that you're fighting are are basically fighting for this really old uh, Quran ideology yet the people who are fighting don't even know how to read the Quran. Right, exactly. And 95% of them really just want to be able to run their shop. Or, they just want to live. They just want to they live. Want, That's they it. They want to hurt their kids. Oh, yeah. They want to raise their kids. Yeah. Like, they just want to be like the rest of us. They just want to be safe. They just want to be have a future. They want their children to you know have somewhere to be and go and learn. And yeah. Um, and so there's no, I think that there was a good conversation that Brian started here. It's like, it's not about a doctrine. It's not about a book. It's not about, it, there is a higher power and there's an importance in being aware of that and living your life knowing that. But it's not, even in, in the New Testament of the Bible, it does not call on us to be the judge and jury. It calls on yeah. us to be the light. We're supposed to be the light and do like Christ did. And I don't remember him ever like yeah. hating anybody or kicking anybody's ass or uh, like, oh, you don't believe this thing. Like, in fact, he got a lot of shit for that. Like, he spent a lot of his time listening to people say, how can you eat with a tax collector? Why would you hang out with these women? You know, these women are not good people. And, you know, and he was like, God loves everybody. Yeah. And that's a hard yeah. concept to think. And that's, by the way, that's, that's, I think the, the, the way that you're writing this book, I think is going to bring some people to faith. The way they bring people to faith, I don't think is saying you're living wrong. You're going to hell. Right. I think you bring them in with a positive book like this. Yeah. See, and, that, and that's where, again, where I can't call your books fiction because that isn't, that's not fiction at all. That's nonfiction right there. That is spot on. And that's, and, and I learned that the hard way from starting over there in 03 and then serving all the way till 2013 when my last stint was in Yemen. It was, these are the bad guys. These are the bad guys. Wait a second. No, they're not. Wait a second. I'm in Kandahar. This guy's right outside the gate with me. Little Muslim guy. I love the little dude. I love the little captain out there. Wait a second. He's he's fighting right next to me. This, these aren't the best. And it was, it took that experience. And that's what you're right. As, as a military person and, and deploying a lot and then having it proven to me, not just somebody telling me, but this guy's standing right next to me. He doesn't matter if he's Muslim or Christian or not. Or the Peshmerk Kurdistan, another one. Peshmerk. Oh my gosh, those guys are, those men and women, man, some hard ass women over there. Yeah. They're, they're fighting right next to me. The Kurds didn't make a difference. They, and they loved Americans. They it made no difference that I was Christian or not. 
Um, no, that's amazing. That's why that book, I, 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 they need to war, war turn. It definitely need to read it. And, and it's something that, that honestly politicians need to read. <laughs> to be oh, honest yeah, with you. But you know, I, it's, it's just what you guys are doing and, and putting, you know, with the, the saying it's fiction, but getting the realism of it, of the feelings in there. I think everybody needs to read it. Because not everybody's going to go to play and everybody's going to go experience those things that you do overseas. And, and honestly, I don't know if there's something bigger is really there anymore that we had in the early 2000s. If that, but getting that experience in there and learning about yourself and especially learning that it actually is cool to have faith and it doesn't have to be the textbook, leave it to Beaver, have faith, square. It can be a different kind of faith. It, the way you guys did is, is amazing. And, and from your experiences too. And, I, I still, I'm not forgotten though, Brian. I still, I know we're at 1230. I still want to know because I still cannot see how somebody can be on a submarine. I, <laughs> this still boggles my mind. How can you be? And so we, I, we, we're coming back to it. We talked about you getting on the sure. submarine. I want to know the worst experience and the best experiences on the submarines and actually what they look like. Now, whenever I think of a submarine, I think of like a, a U-boat where you're cramped in with five guys sweating smelling like ass swamp ass yes but is it as bad as i picture it because i've never i've never been on a submarine except for maybe a museum <laughs> that's it and i'm like oh my gosh there's no way i could live on these how do you survive on those damn well things i will, for I that will tell you that all of you all of us are now honorary submariners because um we're all practicing it at home over covid <laughs> just lock yourself in your room okay and don't come out <laughs> I would you know, and and if you want to give yourself periscope privileges, like Ian, you could open the blinds and look out for three minutes at a time. And you can close them, okay? And every twelve hours, you can do that. You can take a quick peek outside and then close those blinds. So where does your where, so where does, does your where does your mind go? Where do you where the, your mind? Where does it go? How do you how do you? I'd go nuts. I, I would. That's why I did do. I didn't do that. I, didn't do the I don't know if it was maybe a subconscious, you know, strategy of mine or not. But you know, I felt like the minute that you know you set, you hear the diving alarm and you know the ooga ooga dive dive, you know, that's that, that's yeah, all real. Yeah. The, that's minute, not, that's, the minute you dive and you hear that that klaxon go off, you know, it's like you got to be you you sort of click into the business mode. Okay, I'm underway. We're going down and. And I think you just have to put out, you know, the worst case scenarios. You know, you just push, push those out. <laughs> and we're just going to pretend that we're just, you know, we're just all fine in this. We're all not, not worried about the right. Kraken coming and we're dragging you into about the depths the of the pops and those noises. Don't worry about those noises, you know. Don't worry about that bolt rivet popping. We're not like uh, that. Oh, my gosh. That is that. Honestly, that sounds terrifying and fun all at the same time like oh that's yeah, they, amazing they always Next show in those of- movies you know like a ship that's flooding and the guys get the patch and they're <laughs> cranking it on there and trying to stop the flooding and stuff and i remember when, when i was at sub school before they even let you on the sub they say now they, they make you go through the calculations okay this is the pressure of water at 10 feet, 20 feet, 100 feet, 1000 feet and so then they say okay now we know the pressure of water at, you know, let's say a thousand feet is, is X, Y, Z. If you get a, you know, one eighth inch hole in one of the seawater pipes, the water will be coming in at this velocity. And 
You guys ever heard of that water jet knife where the manufacturing, they shoot water and it cuts like through yes. metal and stuff. Yeah. It's called a water jet. Like, that's yep. what it's yep. like coming in. There's no stopping the, 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 the flooding. So you, so you can't just flex seal it? You can't put any flex seal up there? It cuts your arm off, it atomizes. You actually choke. You, you, you drown in the engine room from the atomized air. The, the, uh, the seawater coming in atomizes. Wow. It fills the entire engine room in like 30 seconds. So you drown before you even felt the water, you know, coming up wow. on your body. Yeah, so like yeah. the only way to stop the flooding is we had these um, – these they call them chicken switches, but they're you had several different kinds. But in uh, maneuvering, which is the engineering control station <clears> in the engine room, they have um, the the seawater chicken switches. So if you have any indication of flooding, you can shut the starboard one or you can shut the port one, and it'll close down all. It'll close these massive valves. So like I think they were twenty four inch valves, and you have a primary and a secondary. So everything's got redundancy. So you have a one valve and right behind it, there's another valve. So if the hydraulics to the primary fail, the secondary is going to shut. And that just cuts off all of the um, seawater to the entire starboard system or port system. And everything's redundant. So you have that starboard main engine. You have that port main engine, starboard seawater, port seawater. you got starboard propulsion turbine, starboard electrical turbine, and same for the port. So it's all designed so that if you have a casualty, the ship can remain you know, functional and war fighting after you get that problem isolated. You still got half your, half your engine room. Yeah. For, for the guys in the space, they're, they're dead. And in fact, like for a steam rupture, like a main steam line rupture, that's the main steam coming, you know, out of the reactor compartment to power the propulsion and steam turbines. You know, I think it's at, you know, 450 cool. degrees and 2000 PSI, wow. something like that. So maneuvering is designed so that you have time. If you had a steam rupture, the engineering officer of the watch, which was one of the positions I was in, would have time to reach up and shut them. And then he would cook. Everyone in there would cook and be dead within like the next five seconds. But the maneuvering space is enclosed and it gives you just long enough in that to shut those steam valves. And then, Later, somebody can come from the front of the ship and go in there and clean it out. And, and clean it out and just like business yeah. as usual, huh? Yeah. As it continue to drive on. Yeah, that, to, I love, people need to hear that as well because they think that all of us guys that were getting shot at was, was oh, yeah, that's the worst thing. No. <laughs> no, no you, I, you I, sign I feel up, like I'd rather get shot at than drown, and, even though and I've you no crammed for either. six weeks so you could get possibility of getting cooked alive yeah i didn't know what fucking on you huh? dude that's all that's that is damn john 15 13 right there man. you exemplified <laughs> it that's that's amazing i i love hearing the submarine stories because like i said i would never no if that was my choice like if i was in jeff's shoes where they said no you can't do this but you can do this no i'm i'm good i'll um I'll, I'll get out now no yeah no. i would agree I, with you so wait, as, as Chris asked before, real quick, best experience, worst experience, because I, I want to hear oh, as well. On the sub? Well, yeah. for me, the best experience was, um, so sometimes when you're transiting, you can't <clears throat> transit somewhere submerged because maybe it's not deep enough or you don't have permission, or maybe you're just going to surface and you're you're pulling into port. So like, for example, um, we when we went to Alaska, we went up to Ketchikan, 
Um, we surfaced outside. Um, and it, being the officer deck on the surface is the best. So wow. the subsurface is just the sail. That's that thing on the top that sticks out. And so when you're transiting on the surface up there in a typical watch, like not a maneuvering watch when you're pulling right into the pier, you have more guys up there, but just for transiting, it's just the officer deck and the lookout. And that was like, I wish I could go do that again. You know, just especially when we're pulling into Alaska, you're just up there. The submarine is completely silent. It is the strangest thing, you know. You, you guys have been on boats, and the engines make noise, and you smell the exhaust. But this thing's nuclear power; it's all insulated and soundproofed and stuff. So it just moves with no noise through the water, and you're up there, and all you have is just the sea breeze and you and the lookout. And it's like, it's like you're king of the world. It's like you can almost forget there's every wow. there's a hundred people below making this thing work. It's just like your sub. You're going where you want to go, and I love that. What, what time of year? What time of year was it? If you don't, I, I'm picturing this oh, all in was, my head. It's just was it winter, winter time, springtime, summer? Well, it wasn't winter, but we had our pumpkin suits on, so it was it was but, chilly. I mean, it's probably in the 40s or something like that. But, but snow, was there snow still yeah, out? You can still see it. Yeah, I bet green, that's gorgeous. You could see the sea otters. Um, you know, going in and out, those guys were kind of cool. Yeah. And the dolphins would come whenever the sub would be up, the dolphins would come because we'd push a pretty big bow wave. And so they'd come and they'd be jumping. You know, and That's 30 awesome. minutes, maybe they'd play in front of the bow. So that was cool. What, okay. What, what was the, what's the worst then? Well, the worst, worst. was a crazy Ivan one time. I probably shouldn't talk about it, but <laughs> the crazy Ivan is, is a real baffle clearing um, thing that the Russians do. And, you know, when you're down there, here's the weird thing that most people don't probably think about. You know, when you're – now, Jeff would, would relate to this because it's the same in aviation, but in the water, you know, it's a three-dimensional space. It's not like – I think when we're on the ground, we tend to think like, you know, everything on a plane. But with the submarine, it's three-dimensional depth. And you don't know – you know, you don't know where the other guy is, right? Because his submarine is sound-isolated too. So the way that you're tracking other submarines is by getting bearings to noise that they're making. And the, the truth of the matter is they're well insulated too. So like in the movies, they make it seem like you get this con once you get somebody on sonar, you have this constant stream of information, you know exactly where they are and what they're doing. And that's not what it's like at all. Like maybe a pump turns on, like they run a pump and that's a, a sound vulnerability they have. And, it runs for 30 seconds and then that pump turns off and now they disappear. So you had some bearings on them for a little while and, um, and now they're gone. And so you're, you're not sure like, well, did they turn? Are they, did they turn in that time period? How, how many minutes till the pump turns back on and what aspect are they? You don't, you don't know what their aspect is. So it's a giant geometry problem. So the way this works is if I have something out here, you know, making noise. And I just know it's somewhere out there. I don't know how far away I could be this close to it, or I could be really far away. So what you do is you do maneuvers, you turn and you go back and forth because what that gives you is a bearing spread and you can figure sure. out, does that point move a lot? If it does, then you're probably pretty close because now you're doing like this sort of thing. But if it stays there while you're moving, then, you know, it's probably pretty far away. 
because you know it, it didn't change. Right. And so every all these engagements are just geometry problems where you do maneuvers and they're doing maneuvers and you're trying to figure out what speed they're going, how far away they are, and what angle on the bow that platform is at. And uh, it's it's insane. And some people, I'm just going to be honest, some people do not have the mental horsepower to oh, yeah. understand what they're looking at. And so that can be scary too when you're in a situation where you know, you wonder, does the captain know what's going on or who is acting like he knows what's going on? <laughs> it sounds like you're playing just a big game of chicken is what you're in doing. The dark. Back at, uh, in the dark. I mean, you're playing give me a big game of chicken in the dark with a nuclear bomb yeah. as your vehicle, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that is, oh, man, to me, that's just, that's intense. Oh, I, I, mean, I get a rush just thinking about it. Like, man, how freaking awesome <laughs> yeah. is that? And then not that is scary. we don't hear about it. So I, I'm assuming it's never happened. I've never, but it has when you're doing crazy Ivan or whatever, is that like a, a crazy, a Russian infamous Russian captain that does that plays chicken or is that like the chicken games you play at the Russian or you don't well, have to well, tell, I'll you know, tell you why they do it. So, you know, the idea is in a submarine, traditional submarine, you've got the, the bow and you've got that, yeah. that nose cone on the front, you know, yep. and inside there is sonar <laughs> equipment. So it can, your broadband sonar is looking out in this arc and it can't see behind you because own ship yeah. is there, right? So those baffles are a blind spot. So if you want to see what's behind you, you have to turn and look behind you. Now, submarines now drag what are called a tow ray sonar. So it's a long, thin, mile-long cable and has hydrophones along it that can listen. But again, you know, it can't listen point on. So it's, you know, let's say it's a sure. mile long and you've got all these hydrophones on it. Here's very well in, a, in, you know, donut shapes around it going out. But at the end of that, you know, long cable, it can't hear anything. So, you ha- again, you have to turn in order to check wow. your baffles. That's, that's actually really cool. I learned something else. I, I do. I, I, I would never want to be on a submarine, but I love hearing about it. I love what I did and that's where I wanted yeah. to go, but I still love hearing because I mean, because you do I, you, things that you see in the movies is just, it's not, I'm glad it's not yeah. right. And you are really in the, in the dark. And I didn't know you could die that quickly if you had something just a little bad happen. And that's to me, that's amazing. I mean, it's terrible, but it's still freaking amazing. Ah, all right. I, sorry. I'm just going down a rabbit hole there. No, I didn't. I didn't know that either. Oh, wow. Um, I had one last question for you guys, uh, unless Chris. No, no, no. But uh, especially with everything going on right now, I think people are trying to uh, do something creative if they have extra time, if they don't no longer have to commute to a job and that type of thing. And that's why you're seeing more people put out podcasts, more people write books. I can even tell you with the audio books that I've narrated, the waiting process for it to get on Amazon is like extraordinary, extraordinarily long right now because so many people are writing. So if there's someone out there who wants to write a fiction book, you know, what would what would you say to them just to get started, just to, you know, put their foot in the door and make the idea come to life? So that we actually work with uh, younger writers all the time. One of the neat things about ITW, International Thriller Writers, which is where Brian and I met, um, is that they have a very robust program. It's it's writers helping writers. And, you know, you're a debut author you've sold like eight books and you're having a coffee with lee child and it's like it's really cool so through itw and now that we have our own platform uh because we've got some success we have writers come to us all the time and that's a very common question like well how do i get started 
And I think the simple answer that the mistake people make is they think you have to write a perfect book as you go along. And you guys have both written some. And so, you know, if you try to do that, that's never going to work. Right. And so the advice I give people is like, start with your story in mind and just tell your story. And it's going to be a big file of hot garbage. And that's okay. Um, Because even even at our level, we've written, you know, whatever, 15 books or however many books we've written now. Um, We still really create the novel in developmental edits. You know, at this point, we do most of it ourselves, obviously, but we've got tremendously capable uh, developmental editors. But the very first step and the step that most people never do is to tell their whole story from start to finish. And so you just need to sit down and you have to have the discipline, uh, both from a time standpoint and from a creative standpoint, to just put the story on the page. And then you can go back and you can make whatever changes you want. Um, And so that requires the creative discipline of moving forward. And it requires the time discipline. You know, I tell people, you know, most people just like me, like they didn't start with, you know, five days a week that they could just sit at home and, you know, like now I sit at home in my underwear on my back porch and, and work all day. And that's my work day. That's, right? that's hot. I, I, I could, I know it's sex. I got that's, not, that's not where you start. You start, you got a job, you got kids, you got to pick up people from school. So I tell people, look, you got to write a little bit every day or two at least. And so you don't set aside eight hours on a Saturday and think you're going to write a novel because you can't write eight hours. I can't write eight hours no. and I write full time. So um, you need like an hour and a half, a few days a week that you can put into your schedule, just like everything else you do where it's non-negotiable. You don't wait until you have free time because that never works. A couple days a week, hour and a half, and just write your story start to finish. And when you're done, you can go back and fix it. So I think, especially now, people have some time. How do you do it? You sit down, you have a story, and you just get to work. I mean, it sounds- yeah, it's, it sounds like everything else. I think people have that, as I've heard it said, um, paralysis by analysis, where you know they're just th- they're thinking nonstop about putting out this thing, and they never actually get anything done. Uh, or something I actually heard very recently on a podcast is people think they're uh, too good to too big to fail. You know, because I think they have these accomplishments that they've done in their life and they're proud of but if you're starting a book and this is your first time writing you're going to be square one you might put out something that's terrible you know as you said it might your first book might be crap and you might have to really do a few things until people get interested so you're starting at square one and you might have one or two people reading this and i think people want to see the success right away and people believe guys like you have success right away and that's not how it really works no, we consider ourselves those blue collar authors. Like we didn't, we didn't write one book and get a seven figure deal to write more books. You know, we've, um, we've worked our way through this and our, obviously the first book, the tier one book was very successful and we're very blessed by that, but we had to work and we had to work hard and we had to keep working and um, slowly work our way up. I think the days of, you know, like in the seventies and eighties and, you know, you were that guy they picked and they gave you a million dollars and you sat at home and wrote for the rest of your life. That doesn't really happen anymore. Now you got to think about the business side of it. You got to build a platform. You're involved a little bit more in your own marketing and promotion than it used to be. And so, oh yeah, you got to have a real strategy. You got to have some vision, but you also have to be willing to do the work. If if people want to be write a book because they want to be a writer, they should not do it. If they have a story they want to tell, then they should that's, do it. That's, that's because if you think you're going to like be a writer. <laughs> 
I don't even know what that means, and I am one. So um, yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> yeah. discoverability is the big problem these days, right? Because when when Jeff and I started ITW, it was right at the beginning of the digital revolution, this transformation, right? And you know, I think there were a hundred thousand new titles, fiction titles, back in like 2012, and now you're looking at over a million new fiction titles, and that's beca- wow. a year, wow. and that's because of the wonderful power of KDP, you know, Kindle Direct Publishing. Anybody can be an author and that is fantastic, but now anybody can be an author. So, you know, (laughs) I like to use the analogy, you know, imagine you're at, um, you know, Giants Stadium during a football game and you're like, hey, check out my book, check out my book. You know, who's going to do The guy on this side, if he's paying attention, and maybe the guy on that side, and that's it. You know, just the people right around you, because it's so much noise. The only way that anybody's going to find you is if you put up on that jumbotron, right? Then the stadium will see you. Well, only a few people get to be on that jumbotron. (laughs) You know, it costs a lot of money to be up there. So any new author needs to realize, hey, you're at Giants Stadium. Everybody's screaming. You're saying, read my book. And nobody's going to hear you. So just go into this, you know, with understanding that discoverability, people finding you in this sea of novels is quite a challenge. So like Jeff said, you have to be prepared to do a lot of hard work. And that means that you're going to have to build a brand and a platform and network and find allies and people that can help you. You're going to have to spend some money on publicity and promotion because, yeah, for every there are Cinderella stories where you know, something happens and those are the ones that show up in, in, on the blogs and newspaper. Oh, so-and-so, you know, they wrote this and like Andy Weir, oh, he wrote The Martian and then became a movie and he sold a million copies. Okay, well, there's only one Andy Weir, you know, and there's a million other people trying to be Andy Weir and they're not. <laughs> so just, just. Don't yeah. Or JK Rowling, right? Well, and I think that's why you're seeing, you know, 10 years ago, there was this big push towards independent publishing because, you know, there's 100,000 instead of a million people doing it every year. And I think that the possibility of being heard in the indie circle, first of all, this is not an anti-indie. Yeah. Okay. There's some, there's some phenomenal, you have Tim Tigner and Andy Watts and like, there's some amazing success stories in independent publishing. But unless you have the business sense, the yeah. time and the money, and yeah. it will be a yeah. lot of yeah. money. Um, to pursue that, I think that it's just not as viable as it was 10 years ago. And so you're seeing people who are starting out shifting back towards traditional publishing model because, you know, we love it that Putnam will pay for the publicity. Yeah. We love it that Blackstone is going to do the cover art and hire the editors and, and all that stuff because it's and we love that they have experts. You know, yeah. a guy like uh, Tim Tigner, a guy like Andy Watts, like they are experts at covers they're experts at editing they're experts at marketing and publicity and i just we don't have the bandwidth to do that like it's and and we don't enjoy it so if you're that guy and you love it and you've got the money and and you can do it i have nothing but respect and admiration for you but the guys that are writing from just the creative side and they just want to write their books and get them out there you're going to see them shifting more and more towards traditional publishing unless they only want to publish six books and four of them went to their parents and their wife so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's some solid advice, and that's some real advice. That's not just speaking in platitudes. I think people are really gonna, you know, if they're serious, they're gonna learn something from that. So the uh, website is andrews-wilson.com, where you can see all the different books out of the Tier One series, 
at Andrews and Wilson on Instagram at B Andrews J Wilson on Twitter. This has been awesome. I, I think we've gotten into so much stuff from submarines to uh, ideology and faith and to just self-publishing. Jeff, Jeff riding, riding in his underwear <laughs> on his porch, which that is that that's the Mecca right there. We, we, we got, that's where that is where my questions I had last night. Were, what should I ask? Check. I didn't even have to ask it. You went right to it. It was awesome. Chris, check your inbox. So check your <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I've got to get a good hashtag. What's a good hashtag? Jeff in his underwear. Yeah, I don't, uh, Mark, I don't know. Marky Mark Funky. I, that's no. Tidy Whitey's. That's perfect. No, you guys are awesome. No, I love it. And the, the information, just I just love getting my own information that I want to know about the summary because I was, I, that's amazing, bro. And Jeff, being a medic, man, again, you're a pilot and a medic. What infantry guy doesn't love you already? The only thing you were missing was being a cook and supply guy. <laughs> then we've got all four covered. <laughs> Those are safe right there. When I was deployed, we got stuff sent over, and I cooked, man. Yeah, we, yeah. I know you did this too, Chris. Oh, we sat in a little hooch. I've actually figured out how to make jambalaya using dried meats and rice sent to me from home. And oh, it was- but that, and it's the best jambalaya you've probably ever had. Yeah, you know, probably the- ate it here. Would yeah, oh. Over there, man, it tasted Oh, great. it's good. Whenever you're just cooking on a grill, just whatever it is, it's the cheapest yeah. meat in the world just all tendon and it's t- tastes like Wagyu beef. Now when, when you get sit, oh, no, really, I, I, I brought up a lot of memories and you're talking about some of that stuff. So thanks too again. And they're good memories, good and bad. The memories are all good because I got to experience them. So man, you guys are awesome. Thanks, thanks guys. Yeah, this was great. Anything we can do for you guys, seriously, no, man. No, same. You guys are, you guys are doing great. We saw our buddy Jack on your show the other day and <laughs> uh, you guys are doing great work. Thanks, really bro. good. So you let us know how we can help. No, I pre- just, just keep spreading the word, man. People need to hear it. And and, and real and by real people, not the pastor. I love my pastor, but they need to hear it from the real way that we talk about it with the little with the little cussing in there every once in a while doesn't hurt. Doesn't make us bad people. All right. Yeah, man. Take no care, problem. guys. Take care, Brian. Take care. Thanks, Bye, Jeff. Dude, I have to say, uh, you know, for the audience, because Chris Chris was saying to me prior, he was like, you know, I'm not really familiar with these guys. And I was like, I got to be honest, I'm not really familiar with them either. And sometimes those end up being some of the best interviews. Um, I never spoke to those guys before, and they were very real. And and we covered them. No, and, they, and I, I just love it again I, with the uh, with the war torn book. And to me, that's because that's what. But if you're going to go into the service, if you're a new guy going in, new man, man again, guy, gender neutral term for all you PC people. Out there. <laughs> um, uh, you sh- that is something I wish I would have known prior to going in. Um, I think I would have had a lot less problems at home if I would have had somebody, you know, what if I would have known, Hey, this is spiritually, this is what can go on in your head emotionally. This is where you're going to have, um, you're really going to have most of your problems is, is that, is that, uh, feeling, Hey, am I doing the right thing? Um, or not, and even not losing yourself in it when once you become decent, because you do, you really have to desensitize yourself from it, and which is what I did, which is what I can still do, which is why, hence the, hey, switches on, motherfucker, going to shoot you in the face. I mean, that's the desensitization of it is that you just, no, oh, it's the, I got to go do my job. But I had to learn that and it damn near killed me learning it. And I went through, you know, divorces and all sorts of shit trying to figure it out. Having that little 
knowing beforehand, which is always makes you more confident, knowing kind of what to expect, even like I said, it's a fictional book. I don't think it really is. I think it honestly could be nonfiction with the, the emotions they put in there. Um, that will help. So you knew people going in, you guys that are going in to the service, you're going to go serve overseas, you're, especially if you're going into the infantry or some combat arms or something where you're going to be on the front lines, medical field, especially, I, I recommend you read it. So at least you have an idea. So you're going to feel that feeling, but you're already kind of, you already read about it. So you can kind of plan for it and it'll help you. It'll help you in the long run. Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything else really to say. I, I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys did too. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and yeah, wrapping things up here, as always, Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. I, I always get messages of people saying, I forgot to put the promo code in. I didn't get this good. So I'm reminding you, and it's in our description, uh, Fort Scott Munitions, yes, it's available in all 50 states. Um, and I, I don't know if you're seeing the same thing around you. Side note, yeah. uh, just gun stores on Long Island, I am seeing wines, you know, crazy line yeah i i you know i and that's another thing the news says going into that the version two of the tunnels toolbox actually coming out today i'll have it up on my website today to if people want to purchase this chris tonto yeah, and and if you sign up for emails or even on you know battle line emails so forth you'll you'll get it but uh yeah i mean i are you seeing that same thing though? I, I, I mean, there's the lines out the door for the COVID testing, and then there's the lines out the door for a gun store. Yeah, seeing both just everywhere I go. And I, I, I'm the same as you. I, I really don't know what they're saying on the news right now, but I'm sure it has something to do with that. But you know, gun sales are great. We're crazy anyway. But uh, in Long Island, bro, yeah, I, I, I can, I does, I don't see it here in the Midwest, but guns are pretty re- prevalent in the Midwest with most most law-abiding gun citizens here. Um, but uh, uh, it doesn't shock me, no, with what's going on. Yeah. And then somebody, I, I saw... Even in the freezing freezing cold and in the rain on some days, I just have dri- driven by, actually, the gun store in Hempstead, New York, and I see huge lines. I, we'll get more yeah. to it, because I want to make yeah, sure people... Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, bro, go ahead. It's, no, it's fine. FortScottMunitions.com, guys, and it's exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order only available to our listeners back. Yeah. Back to what you were saying. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm seeing it everywhere I go. And I know people are trying to buy ammo as we've seen yeah. from Fort Scott. Um, yeah, no, I get yeah. it. I mean, it's, it's good for us. I'll I, tell you that. I'm very glad we have yeah. ammo sponsors. I love <laughs> yeah, it. And I, well, people, you, you watch the news, you see, they, they want to get you spun up. You know, I, I, who knows still, if who knows still who won the elect, I, I don't even, I'll be honest. I don't even care to think that there wasn't shenanigans going on with the election. I think you have to have your head in the sand, but then on the other side too, Jesus, I mean, what'd you expect? You know, but we're not going to get into that, but I think people still think, still believe that if Biden actually is the president and becomes in charge, they're going to 
put all these damn gun laws in and and then they're talking about what it's it's possible but i also think there's so many other things going on right now that it's going to be very hard for them to make that a priority well, and, i think most people's priorities right now are like covid unemployment and i think if they make yeah. guns a priority the average american is going to be like really this, this is, is the priority, priority and, and you still have plenty of republicans because they're on the senate and and uh and representatives so it's it's damn near but anyway, I, I I just think it's 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 due to panic again, and and uh, man, I I don't know what to tell you guys. I I think we're fine. I, but then again, I have a lot of guns, but I had them before, <laughs> so I'm, I I have you know, and, and so um, uh, to me, I don't think I need I, I need to get my gun to defend myself. I just that's part of my recreation. That's what I enjoy doing. But it doesn't shock me though, Ian. So I, I really I, I can't say good or bad because I am a two A supporter of lawful lawful gun ownership of course and, yeah, we all. And, and you know and i do believe that there should be stringent requirements to get a gun i that's one thing i i i will disagree with some parts of the nra with how they hey we got to make it looser no back the background check, and I, they already do them the background checks are there They're, they've never said no background checks but even being more stringent or saying an age requirement for them but that being said again having a guns everybody's got gear god given right. That's what it states in the constitution. So if there's lines out the door, Hey, if there's lines out the door for whatever reason. And if you're going to buy a gun, get tunnels toolbox there. I did. I had to throw <laughs> in there, but it doesn't it. scare. It doesn't worry me. It doesn't panic me where I no, think, I'm not, yeah, I'm not no, of course you're not. No. Nah, you don't get that way either. Cause you have common sense. It's just when people don't have that common sense and then they panic and they do panic buying guys don't, but yeah, I b- definitely be aware of, you know, states are passing pretty tyrannical gun laws. We're aware of that, you know, and they have in the past. After Sandy Hook, you can no longer buy an AR in New York. It's stupid, but yeah, I, I think people are aware of that. But you could be aware of it without panicking. Yeah, I, I think. It's yeah, exactly. And in states, in certain states, are always going to be per- because of because of uh, I, I don't know. It's just because of their their political leanings, blue or red. You're, you're so. If you don't like gun laws, you can always move to a different state, but then you'll get like Colorado where we did it, <laughs> where Colorado's and actually Colorado is still pretty loose on, I say loose on gun laws, but is pretty gun prevalent. But yeah, there's but, certain states like that, that, that are interesting. But, and, and it's why it's so stupid that everything is blue and red because like Vermont, right? Vermont's super yeah. liberal, but they're super pro gun. Like that's why Bernie Sanders is not some like hard anti-gun guy. I don't know if people realize yeah, that. Yeah, like, he Vermont, you kind of have to be pro-gun. And, and same with like, where's where's some of our biggest followings? Illinois, and the city of Illinois is city of Illinois. The city of Chicago is extremely anti-gun. Even there's probably more guns oh, yeah. there than anywhere else. Good yep. job, Mayor. Nice job, Chicago. Um, <laughs> but Illinois itself, as a state, extremely supportive extremely pro-gun in fact the majority of the courses that i do for battle line are in that vicinity in illinois or lake geneva wisconsin because they are so gun supportive and they're and they're just good people out there and is that still where our biggest listener are are, where i know you checked at one point i could look i could look very quickly out of curiosity um i don't think it is anymore actually that was that was super early on it's not hard to look that's the one thing i really like about soundcloud is we could uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, number Dallas, one. Uh, Chicago, Illinois, number that's, two, and that's that's outstanding. And uh, Texas, well, Texas is Texas. I just had my last course. We had like thirty people in in a in a shooting course, which is which is uh, which is really good. Uh, having thirty more that you can actually teach efficiently, which I, th- I thought we did. But I, I I don't think gun ownership now with what has happened is going to be we're getting away from 
where it's going to be only Republicans have guns. No, I don't think it's like that anymore. But again, as long as it's legal gun ownership and the rules are enforced, requirements are enforced to own a gun by the gun ranges, uh, no issues at, at all. And I, I think it's good to see. I, I may I'm I I know some are like oh god cringing Tana what are you saying no not an hour audience oh, yeah you're, <laughs> maybe we'll get some other ones coming over to listen but uh, if people listen to this <laughs> I think we have a strongly pro Second Amendment <laughs> yeah, audience yeah I, I, brother you always you always making common sense out of my non common sense <laughs> which is outstanding but no I, it's it's awesome it's awesome to see uh, just know that you know if you have it doesn't mean you have to use it if you want to use it recreationally which it is a good it is a good stress reliever to go out and shoot at stress and go to the range and shoot some rounds off and get, but learn how to use the gun, learn how to be safe with the gun and don't be thinking you're Superman because now you got a gun and you're going to go like the, the kid in Wisconsin, which that's, that's not the way to think. Uh, I, Did you, Oh, you know what? I would love to have Marty or Luke on. Cause I thought it was so silly that black rifle controversy. No, I don't know. Uh-uh. Uh, Tell me. So, so yeah, that kid basically was, uh, you know, he was bailed out. He's took a t he took a picture wearing a black rifle wow. coffee uh, t shirt, and then people on Twitter were like, "Oh, look at this now, black rifle coffee uh, sponsors this kid." Like, look, look at this. And so, what's Evan Hafer right as the CEO? Yeah, Evan. Evan is. That, yeah, he just came out and he was like, "Look, we don't sponsor him. He happened He's to be wearing, wearing a shirt." Yeah. And then now there's backlash from that. Now you have people like, "Well, I'm not going to support you anymore because you don't support him." You know, it's just every everything is a shit show. Now. And that's you know, and Evan. I know Evan personally. Evan's a great. He's a friend. And I don't think there's anything no, wrong with what no, he's doing. He did. You know, yeah. there's been so much. I I have to say, you know, we bash on the left for certain things they do. I will bash we on do, the right we for do this. Too. Lately, hey. there's been a lot of there's been a lot of outrage over really stupid things from the right lately. That being one of them, and then some of the stuff with Fox News, I have thought is completely ridiculous. What they um, do? Tell me, I don't you know, even know what did they Tucker, do. Tucker Tucker Carlson. I talked about it on the episode with Jack, but Tucker Carlson has just said like. Look, I invited um, Sidney Powell on the show, but I ha- if she could give any real hard evidence of mass or vo- massive voter fraud, he's like, I'll have her on the whole week, but I'm not going to spend the show just talking about speculation. Like, I haven't seen anything super solid yet. And now people are like, I'm no longer watching Tucker. And I'm like, what's wrong with what he said? He And he even said, he's like, maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. But until I see solid evidence, I don't want to spend my time on it. And I get that he's and he, as he said, he's like, I'm a super open minded guy. He's like, we're the only news show that is a segment on UFOs. He's like you won't see that anywhere else. But he's like, I talk about it because it's a real thing. People are seeing real stuff out there. And he's like, and if there's solid evidence of this, I will talk about it. And then, you know, Dana Perino, who I love, super nice person. They're going after her because she made some comments about it. And Dana is, a, is I, a, I don't know, this boycotting of everything because you don't agree with them. One hundred percent is very silly. Um, and that's. You know, so now news organizations, if they don't agree with every single person on there, 100 percent. I mean, look, there's always going to be Hannity on there who stands by the president on just about everything. And there's going to be other people on the on that platform who aren't going. And that's that's the way it is. I mean, if you don't want to watch it, it's fine. But I, I do hate when I see people on Twitter being like. You fucking bitch! You went after the president. Like that's not necessary. Yeah, and that's why we just stay where we're at. We don't. And if you don't like us because we don't stand too far, we don't stand enough left, or we don't stand enough right. Sorry, not sorry. Eat shit. I'm. I mean, both of us. I would definitely say are. I, we, we, right, we, we, I have yeah, no course. problem pointing out pointing out nonsense from both sides. I have no problem. That's with common it. sense. That's that's nothing wrong with that. And, and 
again, that's where, where we, we really need to, need to get back to what is really the most important things in our life. It's not this bullshit. It's not the protest or we're protesting that we're not going to protest. You know, it's that, that's how stupid it gets, man. Like we're not going to protest while we're protesting to not protest. Just stop doing that stupid shit. And I said, bring something positive back in, back in your life. And if gun ownership, you know, is is something that you feel is positive, then bring it in. Yeah. Yeah. um, Or what, right. Again, that's why I love this episode, the writing, the, the, the being a writer, having something in outlet and, and, and knowing that was great advice that they had. I'm kind of switching it up a little bit, but with the publishers, I I agree with them on that. You're going to be paying the publishers money on your book, but gosh, what you get for that. The edit, just the editors is amazing. So, but giving good advice like we do on the podcast of, hey, you know, get away from that and do this. But if you're going to do this, know that it's going to be a little bit of work and being honest and real, yeah. real about it. And that's where, again, we're, and I, this is just another vote for me to turn that news off because I didn't know any of that that you just told me, had no idea. And <laughs> guess what? My life is, is it's fantastic. Yeah. I don't, I, <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and I'm glad you told me because because I you know I'm I'm not a I'm not a black rifle coffee drinker. I don't I don't wear their stuff. I, I honestly I don't really care for the coffee. You're an everyday grind. I, I do. I love everyday grind. I, I I'm not a I don't really care for black rifle coffee. But that being said, Evan and Matt are friends. Evan and I work together on contracts before this even happened. Evan is a tremendous individual. And I know, you know, he didn't, he doesn't, he, he didn't send Kyle. I, I know Evan. Evan did not send that guy. Is it Kyle, the kid's name? A Black yeah. Rifle coffee shirt. But if you're in the vet bro community or the, which it is the vet bro community, the 3%er community, you have a Black Rifle coffee shirt because that's the cool thing to have. It's like the Colin Kaepernick fans wearing Nike. <laughs> it's the same shit. It's the same shit. And as a businessman and, and Black Rifle Coffee has grown and they are a they're they're an entity, they're a corporation now. That's what Evan, you know, that's what he gets for that's what he has to deal with as CEO. And I'm sure he expected that. And what he said, if that's what he said, which I'm sure it is, because Evan is Evan's a great guy, just and a tremendous father, a tremendous what do I do? You kind of have to go out there and say what he said, because if people are on the internet saying something factually incorrect that this kid is sponsored by your company. You have yeah. to go out there and say, no, he is not sponsored by our company. What's wrong? There's nothing wrong. He's, it, it, there's nothing wrong with telling the truth. And if somebody hates you for it, which I've I felt that same hate when I started to back off from being very political, very anti whatever I would anti Hillary. Believe me, I got the hate, too. But you have to back up. I'm like, who gives a shit? Eat shit. I'm not going to I'm not going to be something that I'm not just so I can get the following. Oh, oh I'm not going to buy your shit anymore. Fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll be just fine. Don't buy it then. I don't want but I don't think people see that with you. Cause I think you, you know, keep it positive and you stay true to your values. And uh, that's actually why, you know, we're, we're at the end here, but oh, yeah, we are. Shit, we we are. always go longer no, we, than we, we have. We're, we're but, making um, up cause we, I haven't been on in three weeks. So we're making up. Man. That's true. Um, but that that's, there's a million military podcasts now. Like I always look in the government category and I see a lot of them. And I think that's what separates us is that, you know, it's, as you said, it's not necessarily in the faith-based category. We're not preachy, but I do like the fact that we do get into faith-based stuff. We do get into positive mindset, visualization, you know, making yourself a better person every day, conquering your goals. To me, that's, that's what separates us from every other podcast talking about the military and that's how everybody should live and if you got anything from what jeff was saying and brian was saying at the end of the 
at the end of our podcast with them, at the end of our talk with them, what did he just say? And he sold it three times. What made them successful? Hard work, hard work, hard work. Nothing has changed since we were growing up. Everybody wants this quick success because of the internet, because of social media. People can get that quick success. Everyone wants to be an influencer. influencer. I know. I hate that, but influencer (laughs) right off the bat. No, what makes you successful is that grind. Keep grinding, man. Just that marathon. Just keep working hard. Keep working hard. It's the same stuff that my dad told me, and I'm sure your parents, your father and mother told you. My mother told me even more than my dad, too. Just work hard. Get up every day and work hard. And you will be successful. But, you know, we just, people don't have the patience anymore. And social media, hey, guys, sorry, you're to blame for a lot of that. And, but I shouldn't say they are. We are to be blamed because of our accessibility and because of the likes you can get on social media quick. Oh, yeah. But you remember people used to say, even in my lifetime, you know, you're not going to get by just being good looking <laughs> or whatever. Now you are. <laughs> you, can, you can make like millions of dollars just like, being good just looking. Posting, yeah, here I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. Sh- well, I don't really need to shave my body. I'm hairless anyway. But I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start doing the the booty shots on on Instagram. You're gonna do OnlyFans. Oh yeah. <laughs> but hey, man, you work with what you got. So if that's if that's what you got and that's what pays the bills, who? who yeah, I? I'm not. I'm not even being judgmental. I'm not hating on it. But it's just. Yeah, it, it, there's not as much of like a premium on talent anymore. There isn't, but there isn't really. It's, I look at it and go, man, what the hell? What? Why are these people so successful? What are they actually giving? But entertainment is a release. It's a stress relief. So maybe that's what it is. It's entertainment. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to rationalize it myself, brother, because I don't have an answer for you, but you're spot on. But to me, again, hard, hard work, getting up every day is really what makes people successful. I even think you could probably see the Jersey Shore kids that are extremely successful. I, I bet you if you went behind the scenes, you'd see a, probably a lot of hard work behind the scenes after the jackassery in the beginning because it was new. But it was a yeah, fun well, show. It was. It was. It was. But now, put, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I, to, to me, for me to, to hate on them. And not see the work they probably do have to put in behind that thing now just to continue to make successful and just to get along with each other for so damn long. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to hate on them. I, I'm not- no, I agree. I try not to hate on anything because then you sound like the old yeah. guy who doesn't even even me. <laughs> right. Who doesn't understand like what kids are into these days. And and also, I mean, there's people my age who think like podcasts are bullshit and YouTube and all that is bullshit. And it's like anything else, man. There's YouTubers who I think are doing great things, who are doing positive things and giving people tips. And then there's a lot of nonsense out there. It's just a platform. Just a platform. Just, but on our platform, we will always tell you, work hard. Work hard. Even if you're an influencer, you still got to work hard uh, and, and and get up every day and raise your children that way, that they have to get up and grind every day just to, just to and they will, and they'll remember it. Um, even my boy, even I'm hard on hard as hell. And I go in his room. What are you still doing in your room? Get up, go do something. Get out of here. Go do something. But that's what my dad did to me. And I think it I think it helped. It helped me, you know, help me overcome adversity down the line, which at that time, all I saw was like, just leave me alone, dad. I just want to lay here for a little bit, but it, it'll benefit
That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit. <laughs>